You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since Welcome to the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. I am Large William. I don't know where that came from. Uh, I am in Canada. Across the border from me is my good pal, the one and only Sammy, who's recording. He's on the move, so he's recording a different way. Alejandrito! (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I'm in the car, man. Yeah. Mobile Alejandrito mobile. He's getting down, man. He's this got, is one of the uh, few cars you can uh, ride in that'll leave golden showers all over the asphalt. That's right. That's right. You can keep on moving. It's a spray and what they call it the spray and wash there by. Yeah, like a horse. I just yeah. keep moving, man. I ain't got time to stand still. Yep. That's right. That's right. <laughs> some you know, some vehicles have dual exhaust, yours has the dual hoses, so it's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So long. Yeah. That D P action there, man. Yeah, D P man. <laughs> That's just not for director of photography. <laughs> Um, this week's episode is brought to you by DiabolicDVD.com we want to thank them as always you know we've had a great fruitful relationship with them and it's always a joy to be able to kind of pick from their catalog um, what they got coming out because they always deliver the goods in a literal and figurative sense this week's episode is uh, a trilogy Uh, not a trilogy it's a a three pack if you will Um, all from Italy (laughs) Uh, three different directors. No, sorry, two different directors. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, bit of a Lindsay double deuce. Mm-hmm. We do films from Lindsay that are <laughs> 14 years apart uh, and couldn't be more different. Yeah. Uh, Umberto Lindsay's 1974 Giallo Spasmo and 1988's uh, La Casa 3, a.k.a. Ghost House. Yeah. So, a.k.a. Amazing. Uh, and then... On that show, Factory Disc, uh, with Ghost House, uh, which they've been known to do these doubles, uh, is uh, Witchery, or La Casa 4. Yeah, which was directed by, I believe, uh, what was his name, uh, uh, Fabrizio Lorente. 
Yeah, or uh, as he's known in this, Martin Newlin. So, yeah, yeah, this is a good one. We'd never seen this one. I had never seen Spasmo, but I was a fan of Ghost House. So, yeah, Yeah, I've never seen Spasmo or Witchery either. So that's good. It's very good. We're gonna have some fun talking about these uh, late '80s uh, Italian horror. Interesting time to be an Italian genre filmmaker. So yeah, really, really, we could you could arguably say close to the end. Yeah, that's right. This is the end. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm going to defer to you, the man on the move. Uh, what have you been watching lately? Uh, well, I watched quite a bit of stuff this week. Uh, I don't even know if I got it all on here or not, but I'll go over what I did write down. Um, yeah, I guess this is it because if you count the three films for the show. That's ten movies. Okay, so that, that sounds about right. Uh, watch the Death of Superman Lives. What happened? Is the oh, uh, yeah. documentary uh, about the infamous uh, Superman film, the Nick Cage, uh, the the rather infamous images that popped up on the internet a few years back and kind of continued to to garner, uh, you know, what happened type of remarks. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, it's pretty interesting. It's pretty interesting. It's an interesting look at uh, you know film production and uh, what uh, what what all went wrong. And, and unlike uh, Jodorowsky's Dune, which seemed to have like a really good plan and a really good idea, this one had a good plan too. But it was just so bonkers at the time that you had to wonder, man. I I got to tell you, I wish this movie would have happened just so I could you know see it because this would have been so wacky in some ways. Uh, yeah, I'd have been down for it for sure. Would have been an interesting project. A lot of people have said it falls a bit flat in the back half. Yeah, the the documentary. Yes. Yeah, yeah, because there's not really any real. I mean, there's no real controversy as to why it got shut down. It essentially got shut down because uh, I believe Warner Brothers. I believe that's who was running at the time. They 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 released a couple duds. They uh, they had a couple movies they put out that were real big failures, and they just couldn't put the money into this big project. So. They turned around and put the money from this into Wild Wild West. Ooh. And that, ended up being, that ended up being a bit of a dud. Yeah, so. that's a bad move, man. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a bad time, right? So they were just they were trying to get something going, but bad time. But, yeah, it doesn't have a really great, like, uh, you know. I mean, it's a great story on what could have happened and what could have been, but not so much. There's no real, like, there's no real heartbreak that it didn't happen because, in a way, some people are kind of glad it didn't happen, so. Anyway, interesting. It's worth a watch. It's on YouTube. You can uh, see the whole thing on YouTube. It's it's on there. Um, watched Erebus Into the Unknown. Uh, this is a story about a uh, sightseeing tour over Antarctica with some New Zealanders. And uh, the plane hit a mountain. Um, killed everyone instantly, obviously. Uh, there's some controversy here and some other things. This is a story of the kind of policeman the New Zealand policemen that were sent up on this mountain with no training and everything else to recover these bodies. Uh, pretty horrific tale, to say the least. When did this occur? Uh, I want to say late 70s, 78, 79 maybe. Okay. Somewhere around there. Um, it's an interesting story. It's only an hour-long film, but it's an interesting story because, you know, it deals with PTSD and stuff like that and all the stuff these guys had to go through to recover these bodies. It's pretty intense, man. Pretty crazy. Uh, show some photography taken from the plane because some of the cameras survived, right? So 
you get some uh, pictures at the point of impact, which is pretty insane. That kind of stuff freaks oh, you out. Wow. Freaks, freaks me out. So yeah, no doubt. Kind of gave me the chills thereby, to say the least. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, watched one that I've been meaning to watch forever. I mean, back when we started this podcast, I, this thing was on my radar before we even started doing what we've been watching, before we ever even did a GGTMC or whatever. And it was called uh, Full Metal Village. And this is about the small German town where the Wacken Open Air Metal Festival is held. Uh, where, you know, once a year, these, this, these metal heads and all these metal bands descend to have this gigantic metal festival in this very sleepy, small German town. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. You know, they live this normal... I mean, what I liked about it is it felt very Herzogian because... Uh, the director, she's a female, she's Korean, I can't remember what her, what her name is off the top of my head, but she, uh, she really nails the day-to-day of this small, you know, dairy farm and, you know, cigarette-smoking bunch of German guy people that just hang out and drink beer <laughs> and, you know, and they're just so, everybody's, well, everybody they show, of course, is quite eccentric, right? So, yeah, yeah. Uh, it does feel very Herzogian like that. And it doesn't really deal much with the metal part of it. I mean, that kind of comes in at the back end, but there isn't a whole lot of that. But it does kind of deal with the fact that, you know, this festival comes to town, and obviously this small town kind of relies on that influx of money, right? So Yeah, right. So even though they don't really like the music, they welcome the uh, dollars it generates, which are Deutschmarks thereby. The Deutschmark thereby. <laughs> Like I left a Deutschmark in my boxers there, buddy. Yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> uh, so you yeah. keep baby wipes in the console, man. <laughs> yeah, that's, it, it, that's it's a little, really good, though. Let me tell you, not to cut you off, that, that's the pro tip of the day from Large William. You may not have kids, get baby wipes, keep them in your console, because if you spill anything, you're eating, it's hot, you need to clean your hands in a, in a hot mm-hmm. second, you need to clean something off your thigh or off someone else's thigh, get a baby wipe there, buddy. Well, depending on whose thigh it is, all you need is a Sammy wipe there, bae. Yeah, that's there right. There was a Tilda Swinton in there, and she had something on her thigh. Your tongue bath. <laughs> Sammy <laughs> might be able to help out. Yeah, that's right, man. I'll be on the, I'll be on her lap purring, going meow. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's funny you say that. I got baby wipes underneath the passenger seat in the car oh, I'm riding. I bet you right do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, okay, I watched uh, Creep, which is a found footage kind of horror type thing. Oh, with, yes, um, yes. Mark Duplass and uh, directed by Patrick Bryce, and he's in the film as well. This is pretty good, but of course it does. It, it bothers me because it, it does the same things all found footage does. At some point, it's like, why the fuck are you filming this? And wh- where's the camera now? Why are you filming this? So, yeah, some of it works though. It does have a really nice payoff. I got to say, you kind of see it coming, but you don't kind of expect to see it coming the way it comes. So, it's, see, it comes back to the baby wipes. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, that Google search for cream pie surprise. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh, checked out a documentary I'd seen before called Dream Deceivers, about an hour long. This is the story of uh, the two teenage boys who tried to commit suicide in a park. They were big fans of Judas Priest. One of them survived. He kind of blamed Judas Priest after he survived. Uh, I watched this a long time ago. Of course, I had nightmares about you know what it, having to deal with. A disfigured face, somebody that had, you know tried to put a shotgun in their mouth and didn't work out, and it's pretty rough. But uh, the kind of craziness of this is this how this documentary is good to watch because it just it, it just kind of shows you how wacky the whole satanic music thing was in the eighties, and this kind of took it to the very this was toward the end of the eighties. This kind of took it to the very end, 
And it was just like, come on, people. I mean, seriously, that, you know, the fact that this kid grew up from a broken home, his stepdad beat him, uh, he was into drugs and had heavy depression and all kinds of other stuff. None of that led to a suicide attempt, just the lyrics to a Judas Priest song. Oh, boy. So, pretty, pretty silly shit, but either way, uh, sad story either way, right? Nobody wins in that story. No. Not, not even Judas Priest. So. No, exactly. And uh, round up the week with uh, Ex Machina. Which oh, yes, yes. Yeah. Quite loved Ex Machina, as I imagine you thought I probably would. Yeah, it's fantastic. It says a lot more than just technology. I think about man's... Uh, objectification, uh, slave, you know, human trap. I mean, there's just a lot being said in that film. Yeah. Yeah. There's some disturbing stuff in there too. There's like, some, I'll, I'll tell you what, <laughs> the shot when you're looking at the closed circuit camera. Yeah. Man, that footage, that's when it really hit me that this film was about more than just man playing God and technology and everything else. Yeah. That's when it really hit me that this, this film has more to say than just that. Yeah, it's a good story. It really is. It's a good film, and uh, bravo to Alex Garland. I mean, it's, uh, I think it's his first directed film, and uh, he does, uh, you know, he does it subtly. He does. He picks a nice location, uh, lets the actors act. It's well written. Uh, all three leads are great. Oh yeah. Um, Damo Gleason really had, and that's uh, Brendan Gleason's son. He's really hiding his accent. Uh, um, well, I, I'm always amazed when Irish actors. I guess I shouldn't be, but. At this day, but at uh, this day and age, but I mean, it's hard to hide, you know, your dialect sometimes. And uh, man, he hides it well. And then, of course, Oscar Isaac just continuing his, uh, he's kind of just kind of tear through uh, really good performances and really great performances over the last, uh, what, five years now? So, Who's this? Lisa? Uh, Os- oh, Oscar. Oscar Isaac. Yeah. Man, Oscar is the guy, he's the man. Yeah, he's really picking interesting things, and I hope he continues to do so. I mean, obviously, oh. he's got, you know, Star Wars coming. But you know that's that that nowadays you can probably be, you know you can be in Star Wars and still make ex machina. Back a long time ago, you probably couldn't wing that, right? So yeah, right, right. So I'm sure you know he'll be great in Star Wars. So he's he's so good, man. He is. Grows a great beard too. Got a great beard. Got some nice moves. He does have some nice moves. It comes back to the Oliver Cheetah, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Getting down. Get that's down. Right. It's Saturday night. Oh. That's great, man. Really good. It'd be hard for it not to be in my top thirty next year. So it's—I think it's a lock for me for a, like an absolute lock. Yeah, I'd have to see thir- right now. I'd have to see thirty films better than that. <laughs> so, That's right. So that would be pretty tough. Yeah, I don't know if it's—I don't know if it's got it to make top ten, but I think it's—it's it's definitely. I, I would feel absolutely twenty-one to thirty, maybe top twenty, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right now. Considering I probably only have five films that I would consider, it, it's probably it's probably the best film I've seen so far this year. Probably, mm-hmm. probably, yeah, probably is. Maybe there might be a documentary in there. I'm forgetting, but uh, it's definitely one of the best so far this year, no doubt. Mm-hmm. But that's it, man. That's nice. it for a pit. Nice, nice, nice. Um, I watched Jack shit. Um, as you know, I've been super busy as always. It's been a, but you know what the funny thing is? I still got an over 20 films uh, in July. Nice. Nice. We were, we were lamenting before we started recording. We should let everybody know that, you know, we, it's fun watching films and stuff, but you realize the older you get, the older your children get, the less and less time you have. And like most people, I think work all week and they can't wait till the weekend when they can watch some movies or go to the movies and hang out and stuff. 
Will and I seem to watch more movies <laughs> during the work week than we ever can on the weekends. I don't oh, know yeah. where. You know, if you got kids, you forget it. In the summertime, the weekends are shot. Yep. So, whatever. I mean, it, it. You know, like I said, it's a good good problem to have, and and uh, you know, we still watch more films than the average movie watcher. I'd say so. I, I don't really pay much attention to it. Yeah, no, no, for sure, for sure. I really only got in two things other than the show. Um, one of them was like a movie night pick, and I think it was William's pick. I want to say maybe it was. And it was on instant. We watched. Um, I want to say it was called a fairy tale. Uh, it was about Tinkerbell. It's kind of origin story. Oh yeah. It, it was on uh, instant. I wonder, I wonder if I've seen that one. I think I it, may. And it's have. called Tinkerbell's. What's it called? Tinkerbell. Hang on. Tinkerbell. A fairy's tale. A fairy's tale. So it's it's not bad, you know. I mean, I think you said uh, your boy's into Tinkerbell, right? Yeah, he was. Uh, you know, as he moved past today. Eh? Yeah, kids are like water, man. They move quick, yeah. right? So he's uh he's not so much into it anymore, but he still likes uh he still likes them occasionally. I think he, he likes still likes the, to party. Uh, yeah, yeah, he still likes the kind of uh, safety. I think sometimes with the Tinkerbell films, they feel very safe and kind of quaint. I think he likes that. They do. This one. It's weird. It almost feels like the like the sunny version of like a Monster High film because it deals with all these like uh, pixies or fairies. Yeah. And you know origin stories and some pirates. You kind of get to see some. They call back like TikTok Claw, TikTok Croc, and a few other things. So yeah, it was okay. You know, um, not really my cup of tea, but well made for what it was. Was that the? That was computer animated, yeah. 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 Okay. So it was all right. And then we did uh, Movies in the Park, which is a bi-weekly thing here, which, as I've often talked about, one of my favorite things to do in the summertime, you get a blanket or lawn chairs. They have concession stand with, like, popcorn and cotton candy. Or you can bring your own snacks, your own food. And they do kids' films and on the big inflatable outdoor screen, which is, you know, technology's been great to make that easier to do. So we, uh, this time, was Big Hero 6, which we had seen in the theaters. But um, this is our second time seeing it now. I hear a major echo. Do you hear it? I do not hear it on my end. Okay, good. Let's hope uh, that holds true for the episode or people are going to be going mad, man. Um, So, yeah, it's, you know, I got to say, I like Big Hero 6. I like the aesthetic. I like that it's it's kind of more multicultural than your average kids film. Um, I like that they kind of combining, you know, um, kind of... uh, What's it called? A, um, not a manga sensibility. I guess in some ways a manga sensibility, but a kaiju vibe and, you know, more, more of a Japanese Yeah, that San Fran Tokyo type thing. San Fran Tokyo, yeah, that's right. Or whatever it's called there. And, you know, it's good. I don't think this is a great kids film. Like, if I was to say um, Wreck-It Ralph versus this, I think like it's like a, like a second or third round knockout for Wreck-It Ralph. Yeah, yeah. This is okay. I mean, did you guys see this one yet? Yeah, 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 we saw it. I, I liked it quite a bit. Uh, but, yeah, I, my son likes it, but he doesn't love it because there is a lot of drama in between it's, the action. Yeah, it can be intense. And not only that, he, he kind of, you know, I just he, you know, like most kids, he just kind of starts to tune out when there's a lot of a lot of dialogue, right? So, I, it, it, it's fine, it's fine. It's, it's not, good, uh, yeah. That's like, you know, but the greatest. I mean, of course, it looks great, and I agree with you. The aesthetic's great, and... And uh, I'd like to see more. Uh, hopefully, there'll be more uh, Big Hero Six films. I think they could do more with that character. And that they stuff. could. It's a good sandbox, you know. Yeah. 
For sure. For sure. So that's all I watched this week. You know, I tried to get more stuff in, but no time, man. No time. Yeah, I know. It's the, it's the game we play. That yep. game of life. Yeah, man. So we, uh, we're going to take a short break. And why don't we come back and we'll talk about Spasmos since the other two are on a disc together. Sure. We can, we can spaz about Spasmos. Yeah, that's right. That Hoffman beard. So... <laughs> We'll, yeah. uh, we'll get into that in just a few minutes. We'll be right back. Swear you'll listen to the good, the bad, and the odd. The good. He has the cruelty of Jack Nicholson's Joker, the wit of Mark Hamill's Joker, yeah. and the laugh of Cesar Romero. <laughs> the bad. He's bald. He's got a cat. He lives in a volcano. What else you need? And the odd. I've seen bits of it. It's really stupid. Swear to me. Just a couple of guys talking about movies. You can find us on www.thegoodthebadandtheodd.com. What a beautiful podcast. Welcome back to the GGTMC. Our first review this evening is the Scorpio releasing uh, version, not version, Scorpio Films. Yeah. Yeah, Scorpio Films? Botched out of the gates. Scorpio, Scorpio Releasing, I believe. The Scorpio Releasing's uh, Blue yeah. of Spasmo, the Umberto Lenzi film, which I've meant to see for some time. Uh, are you able to synopsize it, or do you want me to? Uh, you're going to have to. And this is the one I confused with Eyeball for some reason. Yes, I don't know that's why, right. Because I think isn't Eyeball, isn't Eyeball's AKA Orgasmo or something, or... Maybe, yeah, well, he did Paranoia, Orgasmo, and Spasmo. He considers them kind of a trilogy. <laughs> yeah, the so, Vowel Trilogy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, I don't know. I, I, maybe it is. Maybe it is. I don't know. Didn't he do, was it him that did Knife of Ice as well? That, I thought Knife of Ice was Castellar. Maybe it was him. Was it Castellar, I thought? Yeah, it might be Castellar. You might be right. I know Castellar did uh, Cold Fear or something. I, I don't know. I don't know. Knife of Ice is Lindsay. Okay, okay. Good old Carol Baker. Yeah. Who hasn't been on our show since since Baba Yaga. <laughs> Baba Yaga. <laughs> yeah. We do get a return of Susie Kendall this week, though. We sure do. She hasn't been on since our torso coverage. And I was thinking of, you know why I said Castellari? Because when you said Knife of Ice, the Castellari one is, I think, Cold Eyes of Fear. Yeah, yeah, there it is. Cold eyes of fear. I said cold fear earlier, but I forgot the eyes of. See, we're doing that thing with Jalo, Jali, how they all kind of blend together at times. So, yeah, we're just yeah. falling into that bear trap. Um, so yeah, this film. I'll synopsize it. Um, Christian and his girlfriend are taking a walk on a deserted beach when they discover a woman's body lying, lying there. I guess we can like it. A closer look proves that she's alive. Next day, Christian meets her again at a yacht party, and they fall in love. Later, a nearby motel, something weird happens. I'd say a lot of weird shit happens. As they prepare to go to bed together, an intruder breaks in and starts beating Christian. Okay, now this is getting spoilery. And then it says, and a series of weird incidents take place. Yeah, you could say that again. Yeah, yeah, this is, this is uh, Christian. He, he's got no luck, this guy. No, he's got the worst luck, man. Yeah. The worst luck. But, okay, so this film. Um, I was very anxious to see this because I remember I hadn't seen it. And 
Jimmy Rodriguez, listener to our show, DJ, put together a really great clip of uh, or a video of DVD sent for promotional purposes that had uh, some of his uh, like house and electro music mixed in with uh, footage from various Jali. And some of the footage had all these mannequins in it. And I thought, wow, this what is this? I have no idea what this is. And I ended up finding out it was Spasmo. And, and I was kind of very curious to see it. It had a bizarre aesthetic. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, so I was, uh, yeah, I was excited to see it. Um, so when I knew this was going on on Blue, I wanted to check it out. And that being that we'd never done a Scorpion releasing film, I figured it'd be as good a time as any. So, we'd never done a Scorpion releasing film. I thought oh, we, we did, did joysticks. We did joysticks. Yeah, and I thought I thought there might be one more in there too. Maybe I don't know, but joysticks. Yeah, you're def- that was a DVD release. But yeah, you're right. We did that one. I forgot. I forgot that was even Scorpion release. Video games. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, they put out man. Ator, the Fighting Eagle. How have we not covered that? Well, I'm hoping we'll be able to do a trilogy on that one someday. There are, there are three Ator films. The Keef, the O'Keefe. Yeah. So, yeah, no, they, they, but I'd never seen a blue of theirs. Yeah, this is, yeah, I think this is the first Scorpio, Scorpion releasing blue. Yeah. Might not so, be the first one I own, but I think it's the first one I've watched. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does make yeah, sense. If it makes sense as if you're a collector, it does. <laughs> yeah, if you're a collector, it makes total sense to some of you guys out there. <laughs> sure does. Um, uh, sealed packages, uh, a lot of Criterion selling the wrapper. It's ridiculous. Yeah, no. It's ridiculous. Um, so okay, let's uh, let's get into this film proper here. Um, I feel like uh, Lindsay doesn't get enough credit as a filmmaker, as far as the variety of films he's made. Because, full disclosure, I really, really dug this film. Um, We talked about Fulci's best work coming from some of the Jali he had done, and they're great. But I also think you look at Lenzi, and he's got a really diverse filmography, and I think some people focus on some of the bonkers stuff like Nightmare City and and Alive. But um, his Eurocrime is strong, his Jalo... His jolly work is strong, um, and this to me is no exception. This kind of comes, kind of in the middle of the whole jalo wave. Yeah. Um, so by this point, I think a lot of rules have been established, and I think in the interview on the disc, he even says something to the effect of, you know, there, all the long titles like uh, Seven Bloodstained Orchids and Four Fly. He wanted to kind of get away from it, just have one word. It's kind of a, a thumb to thumb his nose at uh, some of the conventions. That's his. That's his thing. He's talking about his uh, his kind of giallo trilogy being paranoia, orgasmo, and spasmo. So, uh, which I think eyeball is one of those. I'm not positive on that. I don't have the the brilliance of IMDb in front of me to make me sound brilliant, but. Um, I think that's correct, and yeah, he, he he wanted to break the rules too, like like Argento kind of eventually kind of created these rules of the kind of black gloves and the blood and all that stuff, but he kind of didn't. He kind of wanted to get away from that stuff. Yeah, he was a bit punk rock man. <laughs> yeah, yeah every down. time I look at Lindsay, I always think about people talk about Silva talking about how he screams. All the oh, he was time. a screamer, yeah. because yeah, he seems so. He seems like this quiet old man when you see him in an interview. He's intense, so yeah, he's. Uh... Yeah, he's he can be intense. Um, yeah, you could you could tell he does when he 
when he's not when he disagrees with some, you can really tell. Oh yeah, even now he got that fire in his belly. But I love the poster. Now I should say the IMDb photo for this. I was just saying to you off the air is dreadful. It's like a very nineties looking. It just it's shit. It's so awful. But the real poster art, which Scorpion does that thing of that's become very popular, where they'll commission someone to do a cover, an original cover, but they also have the original art, so it's reversible. Both look really great. I feel like the original looks almost like a Polish and how surreal it is. Yeah, yeah, it's very surreal and very, I don't know, Freudian maybe? I don't know. Yeah, very, there's some stuff going, bizarre. there's layers here, which some of the psychological stuff that goes on in this film and the surreal stuff, I feel like this film really taps into, when you think about Jali and you think about the way characters act, character motivations, red herrings, some of the bizarre stuff you see, I feel like this has all of that turned up to 11, and I feel like there's a very specific intent to do it that way. Yeah, yeah. It knows what it's doing. It's playing into that very intentionally. Um, yeah, I had told you that I had problems with the uh, like first 40 minutes of it or something like that. Stuff. And it, it, it came around on me. It came around. It got better as it went along, but I did think it took a little too long to kind of establish itself. And of course... Once you see the back half, you kind of realize why it's taken so long to, you know, it's one of those things, right? So I get it now, but at the first I was kind of like, you know, Robert Hoffman, come on, man. The most, most he's done is shave at this point. Come on. I know. And and against his own will. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, I guess against his own will. I mean, it was to get in Susie Kendall's pants, though, which is, you know, a pretty good deal, pretty good reason to shave. It is. It is. It totally is. Uh, I want to give some credit where it's due. One of the things I think that Lindsay was wise to do here was this was uh, co-written by Massimo Franciosa, who was a, an Italian novelist. He was a poet, screenwriter. This is the kind of film that could become a jumbled mess in the wrong hands. And I feel like everything's pretty clean, uh, you know, despite being very surreal and bizarre and having very much a shallow kind of logic to it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It it, it works. Uh, you know, some of the payoffs. I think they they figure out what's going on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, you're breaking up. I'm not gonna say anything. I'm to the airport, so probably some interference. It sure is. It's the ghost of Umberto, man. It's the future ghost. It's the ghost of uh, Umberto Future. Yeah. Um, I also want, speaking of uh, ghosts and atmosphere, one of the things I think that really helps this film establish great atmosphere is the score, which is done by the maestro. Right? Ennio Marconi did the score. I feel like it's not overly intrusive or loud. I think it's it's classy. It's it's uh, atmospheric. It works really well in the confines of the film. It feels very. You could hear this and think that it's totally a giallo score, but I, I think it's unique enough on its own to stand alone and be enjoyable. Are you there? Yeah, I, I think it's one of his probably most underappreciated works. Yeah. Really. Oh, I would agree. I don't know if you can hear me, but I'm talking. No, I can. I can. Can you hear me? Okay, still. Yeah, there's definitely a delay, so. We apologize. Good times. If it's not one thing, it's another. Yeah. Well, like I was, I don't know if you heard me, but like I was saying, it was, 
it's probably one of Morricone's underappreciated scores. Like probably you've heard this stuff, but you probably don't know where you've heard it from. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I also want to give it up to the cinematography. Uh, Guglielmo Mancori did the the camera work for this film. Uh, he worked a lot with Lindsay. I mean, he even shot Manhattan Baby. Uh, yeah. You know, but he's been working for. I mean, he's a pro. He was he was working since the '60s. Worked through every decade. Uh, so sweet, so perverse. Quiet place to kill. You know, he did a lot of films. And this film is really well shot, I think, for what it is. Like this, I think this is a film, a Jalo that. Here's the thing that I'll say about this: I love Jalo. It's, it's a cinematic comfort food for me, and I'm sure it is to you as well. I feel like if you love what a Jalo will do and does, you'll love this film. If you don't like what a Jalo does and what they're all about, you're probably not going to care for this too much because it does all those things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, some it of the crash zones. Things, and... yeah. yeah, it does all the things that might irritate some. Uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of uh, in between that. I mean, I, obviously, I don't like Jello as much as you do, but I do like it quite a bit. And, you know, uh, we've talked about poor slashers are kind of that comfort food for me. And, yeah. and uh, I'll, you know, overlook a lot of faults in a slasher sometimes because of nostalgic reasons or my love of that genre. But, this one does kind of tick the boxes. I know I know he was talking about how he wanted to do something different or turn on his head, and he kind of does, but in the process, he kind of makes one of those wacky giallo films that uh, some people can't stand and some people absolutely love, right? Oh, yeah. No, definitely. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to give up to him. Now, the cast, Robert Hoffman, who is the lead in this film alongside Susie Kendall, they headline. Hoffman, you know, Austrian actor, you know, he worked a lot in Italy. Grand Slam was another one which I have that's not bad in. Um, I can't think of anything else off the top of my head he's done. He, he worked a little bit, though, but... Uh, I think you know, he was mostly known as uh, Marco Polo, or maybe... Or the Lonely Violent Beach is another one that he's actually uh, pretty good in. It's a very sleaze yeah. fest. Some TV series he did over there, he was pretty big on that. Yeah, he's a good-looking guy, you know, he's a good-looking dude. You know who he reminds me of uh, completely when he shaves is either Christopher Plummer yeah. or um, Ewan McGregor. Yeah, kind of a mix between. Uh, oh, that's funny. They did a movie together. Remember they did that movie Beginners together? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. They did. Yeah, kind of a love child from the Beginners set. The Robert yeah. Hoffman. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. But uh, no, he's he's good in the film. And I, I want to give it up here to him. I think he's good. Considering the material, Susie Kendall, I think, is really good in this film. You and I spoke about this briefly off the air. I feel like she's she smashes it out of the park with the material she's given because when her role in Torso, Torso is a different kind of giallo. I think it what it's trying to do is very different than what this is trying to do. This isn't kind of bonkers, high body count. You know, this is more about mood, atmosphere, and unreliable narration. Uh, yeah. And Kendall is really good in the film. She puts in a really good performance, a layered performance, I feel like. Yeah, she is good in the movie. She's really good in the movie. I liked her quite a bit. I really kind of, as time's gone on, I didn't really appreciate. She's kind of like, uh, what's the name of the other actress we talk about all the time? Boucher? Yeah. You know, when we watched those films originally a long time ago, even before the show, we kind of didn't really, you know, we weren't always the biggest fans. But as time's gone on, I'm starting to realize that I, like Boucher a lot, and I'm happy to see okay. her every time she pops up. In the same way with Kendall. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, man. 
Absolutely. Um, yeah, the mannequins in this, I think they work really well. Um, I like, you know, they're very bizarre. They're creepy. Um, you know, these mannequins kind of hanging in trees and hanging from things. And the eyes look real, like someone's been covered with wax. Yeah, I was wondering if, if in the close-ups, maybe, if they didn't, like, you know, put makeup on somebody or something. Because those eyes, man, some of those eyes. Those eyes look too real, right? Yeah, too real, yeah. Yeah, no, it's really good. Um... I think as far as the Blu-ray goes, just to jump around a bit, not to, I think it's not a showstopper. It looks good, but it's not great. Like it's serviceable Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah. It, certainly it does serviceable. give you it does give you the Italian cut, the U.S. cut, the fixed Italian cut, and the fixed U.S. cut. Correct. So it gives you four different cuts of uh, well, sort of like I really it's just two different cuts with two different audio tracks, I guess, but. Four different uh, versions of the film, really. If you want to watch it, I didn't. Wa- I watched the Italian cut. I'm sure you oh, did. Yes, I, I didn't. Uh, evidently, we do know that George Romero was kind of petitioned to uh, shoot some uh, kill scenes for this movie. Yeah, which Lindsay was fucking vexed about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He was upset about that, but that. Which is a fair more, thing, I think. Yeah, I mean, he makes his point as to why he doesn't like that, and I. And I agree, you know, Coppola probably should have, you know, as a director, director called him, but I don't know, Coppola in 1970, 1970, 1971 wasn't really Coppola yet, was he? So, no. I mean, because he did a lot of that kind of stuff. He did a lot of that kind of workman type stuff, and he direct. he did that with like that Dementia 13 film he's always credited directing. Oh, yeah. I think it's just something he kind of cobbled together, but. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, I, I understand why he's upset, but. I, I'd like to go back and see those kill scenes, see what they're like. I mean, I wonder how stylish they'd be because, I, as much yeah. as I love Romero, I don't typically think of Romero as a stylish filmmaker. Oh, you know what? I'm, I keep saying Coppola. <laughs> oh, you know, you know what's funny? I was going along with you, thinking, man, I must not have, I must have missed that part in the interview. Because we yeah, should Romero. say it's George Romero, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's Romero, not Coppola. There's a slight difference in filmmaker there. There sure is. A slight difference in, in vest and spectacle wearing as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But Romero isn't, to me, a stylish filmmaker. No, 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 no. I'd be he's curious a, to see how they would fit that in. Yeah, he's more of a substantive kind of filmmaker. Like, you know, he his films obviously have political ramifications and messages. Sure. And, sure. You know, more well steak written. than sizzle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whereas this is a genre that is much more sizzle than steak. Yeah. So very peculiar. Um, now I'm sitting here thinking that if Coppola would have shot the kill scenes, I probably would have watched the U.S. version. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Let's see what they look like, you know. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, what does it say? There was no... Sweet, sweet. Oh, uh... There's such a bizarre line. We mentioned this earlier in the review, and Kendall says to, she says to Hoffman, she gets him back. It's so you know you kind of just have to go with the logic, right? Like Hoffman has a girlfriend. She's a good-looking woman. He breezes her with no real rhyme or reason. Kendall leaves the, the dude on the yacht again. Just it's kind of just it doesn't matter. She probably left him because he's like, hey, baby, let's go to the poop deck. Well, that's right. The poop deck, man. That, that was one of my lines. One of my quotes was. Uh, She's like, uh, I don't know if I'm interested in letting you access the poop deck. Yeah. 
That's uh, that's <laughs> that zone <laughs> proposition, man. Yeah, yeah. Not all women like to hang out on the poop deck. So yeah. You know. If you find one that does, put a ring on her finger. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Put a ring on yeah. that ring. <laughs> Put an O ring on that finger. Yeah, there. man. <laughs> Singer Prince's Diamonds and Pearls, man. In her ear. <laughs> oh, man. Here we go. Um, but Susie Kendall, when Hoffman gets there and he's still got his beard, he's still very beardy. She says there was no move in my hotel room. You're a sweet, sweet. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah, you're a sweet, you're sweet, a sweet, sweet whore. whore. Shave off Shave your beard. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what she says. You know what else you he looks what like, he is, like is, and I got a kick out of this, like, like imagining, imagining if he had him also done the soundtrack, double duty soundtrack, and starting it with the beard. He looks a little bit like Kenny Loggins. Oh, that'd have been great. He'd come in and be like, I'm alright. Yeah. You would have been saying that over and over to convince himself, man, every time someone gets killed. Yeah. Kenny Loggins might be into the poop deck, bro. We know. He might very well be, man. Um, shit. Last week was the fifth win. This week it's the poop deck. Well, the fifth win can lead to the poop deck, as we all know. Oh, sure can, man. Uh, oh, Jesus. Kendall, Kendall, I gotta say, man, as much as I love Kendall as an actress, this higgish observation, she's one of these leads. There's two kinds of leads. There's ones that give it up on screen, and ones that don't. Lord Demdre gave it up on screen, Boucher gave it up on screen. Kendall doesn't give it up on screen, so, you know, just an observation. Not that I can recall. I mean, maybe she did. Um... You know who else often reminded me of just because of his, his lineage is Helmut Berger a little bit once he shaved the beard off. Oh, yeah. Hoffman? Yeah, yeah. A little bit. Um, I love the atmosphere of this film. Like I said, it's one of those things like if you love fudge and you can eat fudge all day. Well, I could eat fudge all day. I don't really care for fudge particularly, but um, I love peanut butter. I could eat it all day. Um, so I was really eating it up. Like I really love – I was really in the mood for something like this when I put it on. Like it really put me in a good mood. Um the atmosphere is great. The stuff with the body being gone. And I feel like they really manufacture some great kind of unbearably tense moments where you're like, what the fuck is going on and why? And you can't, well, you can't really ask why, like in terms of conventional human logic, it, it like I said, very much jalo logic. But if you're willing to go with that, I think you can really get into it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, things like I little agree. things like when they're they're prowling around that house. And I want to say too, Tuscany, where this film is shot, they make the most of the locale because it looks beautiful. You get some cliffside stuff. Uh, it's absolutely gorgeous. They really get the value from it. Um, so it lends itself well to the film because you don't get a lot of films set with boats and in Tuscany and stuff. So it, it, it looks really good. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, like even the moment when they're in that, that house and the phone starts ringing, it's very illogical, but it just, it adds to the, the paranoia, you know, of the seemingly innocent uh, people or there's paranoia at everything. Yeah. You know, um, everything screams, loud noises, all this stuff. I think it works quite well. Well, Uh, Obviously when you get to the back end of the film, all of the stuff that's kind of illogical and the, what the fuck's going on type stuff you're talking about. Now is all starting to make sense. Yes. Right? Because they're starting to talk about 
well, I don't really want to talk about it and give it away because, you know, it's, it's a pivotal part of the movie, but it all, it's one of those movies that you kind of got to hang in there for to kind of, and, and some people I think will be a little bored or irritated by that. Um, yeah. but when, yeah. if you do hang in there, there is a good payoff. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, for sure. There totally is. Um, again, dream logic, which is good. How about, and everyone acts like they're in a giallo. Um, how, how, how quickly does fucking Hoffman give up his confession yeah, to that quick. one dude? It's like, man, listen, if I thought I murdered someone, that's the last thing I'd be telling someone I just met. I know. I know. Again, that all kind of plays into what we see later with, with the Hoffman character and kind of the payoff. But at the time when you see it, you're like, man, this guy's, this guy's, uh, you know, he's the worst. When it comes to hiding the trouble he's in, he's the worst. He is bad news bears when it comes to that man. He's he'd be the worst poker player, man. <laughs> yeah. Terrible. Yeah. yeah. Terrible. Um, and I again, I, I appreciate the sort of unreliable narrator that we have through the film. I think that that works really well. And I think too to to add to that layer is there's 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 li- and again. I don't think they were making this up as they went along. I think like they really had a very clear beginning, middle, and end when they were writing the script because not to reveal anything, but there's a line that says, and they said, someone says, so-and-so has their problems and you have yours. Yeah. I think we start to see there's more going on here. Um, You know what was a great shot was there was this really stunning shot of uh, kind of down a highway with the tree-lined streets Uh at nighttime. Yeah. Really, really good. And how about this? The one dude that kept trying to bump off Hoffman, he looked like the love child of Hank Azaria and Dario Argento. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I told you on the phone that he kind of looked like uh, Nico Masarakis a little yeah, bit. Yeah, totally, <laughs> man. Totally. I'll, t- I'll tell you what. We've had a lot of car explosions in this show. Yeah, I know we have. <laughs> but I got to say, man, there's a cliff, like this major cliff in this film. The car goes off. It gives us one of the greatest car explosions in Italian genre cinema history. Yeah, it's pretty massive. It's yeah. pretty uh, it's pretty impressive, to say the least. Yeah, no, it is. It's heavy duty. Finally, you know, towards the back, can we get Ivan Rasimov? Great face. He would have made a great Bond villain, wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was almost always cast, obviously, as the heavy because of his uh, looks. And, you know, he has a very striking face. And you never forget him. And uh, he... Uh, mm-hmm. You know, didn't do as much work as I would have liked in as many films as I like. But some directors like to use him more than others. I believe Martino used him quite a bit. I think he's in Torso. Yeah, he was in Torso. Mm-hmm. And uh, Lindsay liked him a lot because of his face and how striking it was. And Oh, yeah, great face. Yeah, and he, he's a, yeah, yeah, he would have made a great Bond villain. Yeah, he, yeah. If he was still alive, he'd be a great, like, old man villain now. Yeah, he's a really great face. Um... What else do we got here? He died pretty young, I believe. I, I can't remember how old he was when he died. I think he had a heart attack or something like that. I think he was a heavy smoker. So. Oh, boy. Um, I got to say, we see more Ladies of the Night, more oil drums with fire in them. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do. I love it. You know what would have been nice to see because of how prevalent... Um, hookers are in Italian films was to see like a serious Italian film, even if it was like from someone more prestigious, like the Sica or, or that or someone would have been to see like a, well, I guess they did a couple of films and even, uh, um, Pasolini did too. Um, 
but just films from, or even like a, I guess a, a Jalo from a, like a hooker's perspective. Yeah. It could have made some really good stuff. I think with mining that, uh, kind of underbelly. I almost feel like there might be something out there like that. I wonder if there is, and maybe we just haven't come across it. Yeah. Yeah. It might very well be. Um, Every 12 minutes or so, it feels like we get a new, like, attractive woman in this film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, that's good. I mean, it's a good formula to have, right? It's either, yeah, neither attractive woman or an attractive mannequin, one or the other. One or the other, yeah. Uh, there's some Victor Kayam close shave approved sensuality in this film. Yeah. <laughs> Someone with that, like, razor. It's yeah, you know, I was thinking about those mannequins. There's times when, like, Lindsay's shooting like a scene of a road going by and a car and, and Robert Hoffman driving down the road and you know, the camera pans and there's a mannequin and I'm sitting there thinking, well, who, who the fuck's doing, who's doing this mannequin shit and, and where are they doing it and why are they doing it and why are they so randomly putting it where the camera is? But it's some of that giallo logic you were talking about earlier. It's, it's, it's very much style over substance. It doesn't have to make a lot of sense. It's stylish and atmospheric, yeah. right? Yeah. You kind of um, got to check that stuff. You do. Okay, there's all my notes. Uh, I could keep going, but I won't. Let's uh, let's see what you got to say, man. Uh, I don't have a whole lot more to add. Uh, I think you liked this one more than I did, uh, but I did like it. I think it ended up working off, uh, working off, working out pretty good. The, the way the story worked out. Like I said, I thought I had seen it because I thought this was eyeball, but this is not eyeball. This is spasmo. So um, I do like the way this film kind of plays out. I like the the Hoffman kind of Kindle relationship. Uh, I like. She's almost like a tease in some ways. And Hoffman, he's not afraid to really kind of sleep with anybody, really. It's very right. swinging 70s, right? So Absolutely, man. He's having a good time. You know, he's got the open collar, got the got the pendant on the necklace there. You know, he's rocking it. He's, he's ready to go. On. Yeah. Um, there's some nice, you know, elements of family in here and, and things like that. And you know, I agree with you. The location is good. There's some really nice uh, moments like at a rock quarry. Uh, great kind of heavy thing with the ball bearings. That's always a nice touch because every time you see the ball bearings, you know somebody's nearby. Uh, and of course, the ball bearings come back into play. Oh yeah. Uh, later, when, when they're trying to figure, you know, when they figure out a body is a body, and they found the ball bearings, they found all three of them. It's a really nice touch. <laughs> get, another, get another close up of the, the spinning ball bearings. Um, I like the film. I just, I, I really had trouble with that first kind of forty minutes or so, forty five minutes or so, because. Unlike you, uh, sometimes the what the fuck moments in his yellow can kind of drive me bonkers. Sure, yeah. And this one gets a little bonkers in the beginning. I mean, the, the mannequin thing, I mean, talk about waiting for a payoff. You don't get a payoff on the mannequin thing. This movie, I think, is 94 minutes long. I think you get a payoff on the mannequins at about 92 minutes. Yes, you do. <laughs> so you, you don't really know what's going on. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm not going to give that away because it's a great payoff. I just... I kind of wish that it was kind of brought in earlier, though. I kind of wish that the the elements of that other character, and I don't want to give it away again because I don't want to give away the story because I think that's the main thrust of this movie. Uh, I kind of wish those elements were kind of brought in earlier. Uh, not that it's a bad thing, but I just kind of wish they were brought in earlier because I think that actor's interesting and that element could have been interesting and maybe seeing why these mannequins were placed there. You know, I, I would have liked some of that uh, to come in. I just knew that Lindsay wasn't going to hire Silva for this film. You know, he worked with Silva quite a bit, but we yeah. all know how Silva. We all know how Silva feels about the mannequins. They couldn't have kept them hanging in trees, man. He would have been blowing them up. <laughs> been screaming and yelling. Oh yeah. Um, 
He'd been yelling at Lindsay, what are all these fucking mannequins? <laughs> um, I do love in movies. This is like a little movie thing. But this happens in movies. You see it every now and then. This one kind of has a little bit of a wrap-up. But I like in movies where the home movies that they show of like people in their childhood look like they're shot by the filmmakers. <laughs> oh, mean, yeah. The home movies that one character's watching at one point in this make no sense. I agree. Movies to exist. <laughs> they, they serve the purpose of the end game, but I thought the same thing. Like, man, Dad, who's shooting this like Super 8, he's a great, great lenser. Yeah, not only a great lenser, but a great prelude filmmaker to his yellow at that time. Absolutely. <laughs> he, knew, he knew what he was editing before Lindsay did, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's one of those, you know, it's one of those moments you see those in movies every now and then. You know, you get some. Because let's be honest, real home movies, maybe maybe some people sit around and do all the editing and stuff for, you know, getting together and watching. But most real home movies are start and stops, you know, and just, just moments caught on film. They're not really always uh, telling a narrative. This home movie, this uh, this reel-to-reel footage is giving you, it's giving you the goods. It is. <laughs> it is. It's not, you know, blowing smoke up your ass. Yeah, it's telling you the story, and yeah. it's it's pretty well shot and pretty well done. Although yeah. we all, we all know, all movie buffs know, you can't freeze frame film with a hot lamp and leave it on pause like a DVD. But you know, Lindsay was ahead of the curve. He he saw DVD coming before DVD before video cassette even hit. He knew it was going to happen. So yeah, you can't freeze that on that projector. Come on now. Again, I want to say the character's name or the character, the actor's name, but I can't do that because it gives away something. So Totally. Uh, very interesting. I agree with you on the Morricone stuff. I was actually pleasantly surprised. I didn't know Morricone scored this movie. It's good. And when the music started, I thought, wow, this music's pretty good. I wonder who did this one. And, of course, you know, my first thought is because he's come up a lot lately was Cipriani. I was like, oh, this sounds like Cipriani. Maybe it's, uh, what's his name, that Bruno guy. Was it Bruno or is it... Uh, Armando Trivioli. Oh, Bruno. Um, What's that other that, that, that composer's name? I can't, can't remember his name. Bruno Nikolai. Bruno Nikolai. Bruno Nikolai. Yeah, there you go. Bruno Nikolai. Yeah. There you go. Sound like kind of his stuff a little bit. And so yeah, I could see Nikolai or Trivioli because it's a classier sound. Yeah. It's not funky. Yeah. It's more kind of classy yeah. and lush. But of course, always seeing Morricone's name is always, you know, it's nice. You know, you know I'm, I'm, I'm happy he's coming out of retirement to do Tarantino's movie. I'm hoping it'll be something good and. And something great and something, you know, uh, you know, for him, you know, because he doesn't do much anymore. I mean, he's, he's he's one of the greats of all time, if if maybe not the greatest composer of all time, arguably. So um, film composer, that is maybe not a uh, full time composer. I don't know if he's Beethoven, but some of us he might be. Yeah, um, precisely. But I don't have a whole lot more to add, man. Oh, hang on. Like... One sec. My wife made me some popcorn. Amazing. Oh, nice. Makes for uh, good eating, but bad podcasting. One second. <laughs> on the uh be careful with the popcorn be going to the poop deck you put too much butter on that there by <laughs> i'm guessing he muted me on that um i'll just keep going while he's muted uh i did like the the location especially the hotel they call it a house or kind of like a castle looking type thing i'm back but from I did the poop like... deck <laughs> i did like the that's what i said on the thing i said don't put too much butter on that you'll be at the poop deck we actually uh, use pro tip number two Coconut oil and Himalayan sea salt, no butter anymore. It's going to be healthy. Nice, nice, nice. nice. Uh, yeah, like I was saying, that, that location's really nice. Uh, it kind of reminded me of Torso a little bit because, you know, they kind of spend a lot of time. With the cliffside stuff at the end, yeah. Yeah, they kind of spend some stuff time there and everything. And 
that one actress, the redheaded actress, she was in, uh, I think she's in Italian Connection or Milano Caliber 5-9, one, one of those three. Mm -hmm. She's got a very striking uh, look as well. Man, I think uh, she's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, she's very striking. Mm. I mean, she didn't do a whole lot of stuff, though. You know what some of the mannequins reminded me of in this was um, Lisa Marie in Mars Attacks. Yeah, yeah, yeah they kind of look like that, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. That's all my notes. I'll go ahead and kick it over to you for make or breaks and stuff. Nice. Um, mm, what do we got here? I think the first mannequin shot was what made it for me. It sounds bizarre, but I think that very clearly sets up that, well, once you've seen the film, you have the benefit of hindsight to know that there is substance there, but... Uh, being someone who loves sizzle with his stick, I was okay with it being strictly style, but it was more than that. It, there was some substance and some logic to it. So I love that the sizzle for this had logic. Um, so that's my make or break. MBT is going to be Lindsay. Uh, Lindsay does a really good job with this one, man. He's underrated. I think, like I said, we always can, you know, I think he is one of the great genre, Italian genre filmmakers, and you, you can't overlook that. My score for this one's a 7.5, man. I really love it. I'm glad it's in my collection. If people are looking for a giallo that's a little different, I'll, be too, I'll sort of I'll throw some poopy avati at them. I'll throw this at them, and you know, it's good stuff. I'll throw some poopy deck at them. While poopy, you poopy, yeah, poopy. that's right, man. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, my make or break. I, I like the stuff in the kind of hotel, the kind of home on the hill. I like that. The beard stuff. shaving. Yeah, that's nice. nice I wonder stuff. if uh, if uh, Nicholas Winding Refn, the invasion in the hotel, uh, in Drive was like a nod to this. <laughs> I don't know that that beard. That beard was. I think that beard was fake. Was that beard fake? I think that beard was fake. The Loggins beard. It might have been. They look pretty fake, but again, then again, Hoffman's very fair-haired, and he might be able to grow a nice groomed beard like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's true. But. He's probably kind of dude. He's got a beard comb, a beard comb in the visor of his of his uh, yeah. his car. Yeah. Uh, my MVT. I'm gonna go with Morricone on this one. Ooh, uh, good one. Good one. Uh, he's really he, surprisingly, uh, you know, seeing his name in the credits and then also being kind of, you know, pumped up by his score. It's really good. And uh, but Lindsay's right there with it. But Morricone, my score is a little lower than yours. And again, this is probably just the difference between Giallo and and you and me and Slasher. Right? We've always talked mm -hmm. about this on the show. It's always been a conversation. But I, I give this one a six point seven five. I do think it's very good. Uh, for this genre, but I mm -hmm. don't think it's, uh, I just can't quite get into the sevens for me. I got to say, I feel like I really want to give credit where it's due. I feel like we could give the MVT to the Kendall Hoffman leads. Like they're really good in this film. Yeah. Kendall is really good in the movie. Uh, I don't know if I'll ever get a chance to give her one, but yeah, and I could. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to give her one, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> Hoffman, I, I talked to you on the phone about this. Hoffman's an actor who I've kind of always been kind of indifferent on because, yeah. He didn't do a whole lot of stuff. Some of the stuff I have seen him in, he's, you know, he's a good-looking leading man stuff, and he's fine. But Kendall but is he, better than him, even. Yeah, but he's just not as interesting to look at, like uh, Rasimov or, you know, Silva or any of these other guys that were working in Italian cinema at the time, or even uh, Ador. Mm -hmm. You know, I just not, just don't have those kind of, the kind of charisma I'm kind of looking for in my lead in the Italian film. But hey, you can't you can't win them all. Yep. It's true. All right, we're going to take a short break. And which one do you want to do first? We'll go in order. We'll do La Casa 3, Ghost House next. Yeah, let's go ahead and do Ghost House. All right, we're going to take a short break. We'll come right back with uh, Ghost House. 
No one would have believed in the first years of the 21st century that Hammer films were being watched from an entertainment standpoint. No one could have dreamed that Amicus films were being scrutinized as someone with a microscope studies creatures that swarm and multiply in a drop of water. Few men even considered the possibility that this area of film still had anything to offer. And yet, across the gulf of space, minds immeasurably superior to our own regarded this podcast with envious eyes. And slowly and surely, they drew their plans against it. The Hamacus Podcast. Hammer and Amicus, and every tenuous link in between. Hamacus.com and iTunes. Cheers. All right, gang, welcome back to the show. Next up is 1988's La Casa 3, or Ghost House. Directed by Umberto Lenzi 14 years after our last film. Or should we say... Directed by Humphrey Hubert. <laughs> yeah. yeah, one of his aliases popped up on it's, this one. It's always great. Cause sometimes the Italians will try, like Guglielmo, I can't remember what his last name was, that cinematographer. That's the Italian version of William. So sometimes they would try to take an, like a, an English name that sounded similar to their name, but I don't know where he got Humphrey Hubert from. That sounds more like a porn name than anything. Yeah, it really does. It really sounds like a porn uh, pseudonym. Humphrey <laughs> Hubert, and I think Mar- was it Martino used Larry Ludman. Or was it? No, or, or was it um, Matei? Matei used, used several different type names. Matei used so many I couldn't even tell you. I'm gonna look up because I think I think it was Martino because I think if memory serves he directed Hands of Steel as Larry Ludman. Oh no, it's Fabrizio D'Angelis. Yeah, he directed Hands of Steel as Martin something. Martin something. I can't remember what the name was. Martin something though. That was another one of his aliases though. Mm. So. Well, let's synopsize. Okay, go ahead. Visions of a deceased girl and her doll bring doom <laughs> to the visitors of a deserted house. This is one we had both seen, we were both big fans of. Let's hear yeah. what you thought about it on a rewatch, including the disc itself. I remember, uh, yeah, this comes with Witchery on a double uh, double disc, not like a double, double feature release on one Blu-ray. Um, both films look. Uh, pretty good. I mean, they don't look they don't look outstanding, and there's no no special features or anything. But it is nice to have La Casa three and La Casa four uh, back to back. Who would have uh, ever thought we would have these films on Blu-ray? <laughs> if you'd have told me Ghost House was coming out on Blu-ray, I'd have told you you're crazy. Witchery, I had never seen. After when, seeing it, after seeing it, I'll tell you you're crazy. That it ever it's got a oh, Blu-ray release. It's but. a glorious time, and I want to say. Sorry to cut you off. I think Martino, I think it was Martin Dolman. I'm going to take a look right now. Martin Dolman. That sounds familiar. Yeah, that sounds like... Oh, it is. It is. It is Martin Dolman. Okay. Yeah, Martin Dolman. Cool. Okay. Um, But yeah, Ghost House, a while back, it might have been, I don't think it was last October, but maybe it was, uh, but it might have been the October before that. Miles and them do their spooktacular, right? And uh, they did their 31 films in 31 days, and Ghost House came up on one of them. I was so excited because... Uh, I had seen Ghost House a long time ago, was a fan of it for what some would consider the wrong reasons of being a fan of a film like this. But, you know, you, you, you can't explain why you love some things more than I, I can't. Sometimes things just hit. And Ghost House was always one that kind of hit with me. It's pretty ludicrous and pretty silly. 
at the same time, it's it's pretty great in how bonkers uh, the story is. It's very simple. It's a very simple story. It's both of these films, Witchery and uh, I guess they put them together because they're La Casa. La Casa 3 and 4. <laughs> yeah, but they also both take place in Boston, right? Or in Salem, Boston area. So oh, yeah. the Italians are really kind of going there. They even both have uh, Robert Champagne in them. Bobby Champagne double featured thereby. That's right, man. The poor man's uh, tall man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. He's so sleazy in witchery, man. Oh, he's so gross in witchery. <laughs> uh, but this is this one's a fun one in a lot of ways. Uh, I try to think uh, the leads. There's not really anybody that you would know from anything. Uh, the lead actor, you know, he kind of looks like Billy Warlock a little bit. Uh, with the his poor hair man's Billy Warlock. Yeah, poor man's Billy Warlock here. <laughs> but he, 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 he does a fine job. He's way too serious in the movie. But again, you know, he didn't probably get the memo, uh, along with a lot of other people, that this movie was going to be what it was it turned out to be. Because uh, these guys are really, you know, they're giving it their all. I mean, i got to say, they're really trying to sell Big time. the, uh, the uh, um, what should we call it, the, uh, the, the stuff that... Uh, Lindsay's putting down here. <laughs> All right, so the film itself, uh, basically, like what Will said, uh, it's a haunted house tale. Um, but it deals with, you get a little of a prologue, a little bit of a story. I should say that guy's name is Greg Scott. He has a very standard name. Uh, that actor played Paul Rogers. And Laura Wendell is the, uh, is the uh, Amsterdam or the Dutch... Uh, exchange student that's in love with Paul, even though Paul's a bit of a fruitcake and a bit of an asshole at times. And and, and uh, he, he's not a bit of, but a lot of a ham radio enthusiast. <laughs> oh, he's a lot of a ham radio enthusiast, yes. I do want to mention before we get off of her, what was the girl's name that you just mentioned? The Dutch or the whatever exchange student? Uh, Laura Wendell. Man, I'll tell you what. She is so fucking bland. Yeah, she was in Tenebrae. Ugh, I don't remember her. I don't remember her at all, which is fitting. Yeah, she's not uh, super interesting uh, at all. And, you know, even when things happen to her, she's not interesting. She was in Killing Birds, uh, which is Zombie 5. Which I just watched recently. Yeah. She's so dollars. Midnight Killer, uh, which I don't think I've ever seen that. Who did Midnight Killer? Who directed that thing? I'm looking now to see. Uh, oh, Lamberto Bava. How about that? I never saw Midnight Killer unless it's got a different title. I'd have to check to see if I did. One of the reviews says "Death by Whisk," so I'm in. Yeah, we got to check that out, man. Death by Whisk. I don't think I've ever seen a Death by Whisk. Um, I like saying Whisk. Anyway, uh, this one's pretty. This one sets up pretty great. You get a great phone call in the beginning between Paul and his uh, his lady friend. Uh, he tells her, uh, you know, to keep it hot, and I think she says, "Keep yourself hot too," or vice versa, which is you know a nice touch. You oh know, yeah, you, you yeah. Gotta, <laughs> keep it hot, baby. You know, very keep very it warm and ready. Yeah, very very samurai, very samurai cop there. Uh, there's got another great moment where they're talking about that chili, and he's like, "Hey, plenty of jalapenos, uh, jalapenos." <laughs> we said, "Oh, I know." <laughs> it's pretty great. Um, so anyway, he's a ham radio enthusiast. He comes across uh, because he has computer skills. He comes across the ham radio broadcast. Somebody screaming. Somebody died. Possibly, they want to check it out. They zero it in pretty fancy, considering the technology and stuff at their at their uh, at their disposal at that time. That they can kind of zero in, and find out what it is. They pick up what might be the worst hitchhiker, 
Well, he's not the worst hitchhiker because we know that David Hess is a pretty bad hitchhiker. And we oh, know yeah. that George Eastman. And so is Rutger Hauer. Yeah, and Rutger Hauer's a bad hitchhiker. The cinema's full of bad hitchhikers. hitchhikers. We know that. But this is certainly one of the most obnoxious hitchhikers ever. Oh, yeah. He even has a great line where he says, come to think of it, just about every place sucks. And I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, it's come to think of it, you suck. That's right, man. With that skeleton kind of, hand. <laughs> he's got this fake skeleton hand. That the only thing this film's missing from a Lindsay standpoint would be, like, potentially, like, uh, I don't know, like, uh, who knows? I'm trying to think, like, Barbara Boucher fingering herself with it or something. I don't know. That you know would have been amazing? <laughs> if the dude that says the skeleton hand, the African-American actor, if when Lindsay was filming a scene, if he snuck up behind Lindsay and scared him with the skeleton hand to see the expression <laughs> on Lindsay's face. Yeah. yeah. Um, I like that every male character in this film, except for Robert Champagne, feels like they, I feel like they had just left a screening of Back to the Future. And decided Man. they were going to dress, dress like Michael J. Fox. What is with the Italian <laughs> perception that Americans have a strong penchant for vests on young males? I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah, we love the vest. Uh, <laughs> the vest blue jean denim combo, man. That's that's uh, rocking it right there. It's amazing. Uh, the, score, the score to this film is pretty good. There, there's a... There's a repeated theme, a kind of a nursery rhyme type thing with the girl and the clown. We should say there's a clown doll in this. I don't know if Emily's seen this, but she should see this if she hasn't. She, I think oh, she like so it quite should. A bit. And uh, that that theme comes up every time the little girl kind of comes up in this haunting scenario. But the other music in the film is actually pretty good too. I didn't write down who did it, but it's not bad. It's it's pretty okay. I'd forgotten actually how good it is. It is effective. Um, even they go they go to that well a lot. They really do. This does have a really good uh, a scene that I like quite a bit. And even though this film is ludicrous and and very, very silly, I'm just trying to see who the composer is. Piero Montanari. So I don't know what Piero else Piero has done, but yeah, I don't Piero know. Montanari. And then Franco Deli Deli Coli uh, shot, uh, shot the movie. So anyway... Uh, this this has a, one of my favorite like Italian like what the fuck moments in it. And that's the the crazy kind of feather attack Mickey Mouse combo scene that See, uh, <laughs> has to be seen to be believed. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> it is amazing. <laughs> it's amazing because you don't know who was going through what thought process that thought this would be amazing. But thankfully, yes. and I gotta guess, it's, I gotta guess it was Lindsay. But uh, thankfully, he did go full tilt for it because it's it's one of those moments where it's just like, what in the hell? You were saying that during the Giallo. I'm saying that during Ghost House. And I've seen Ghost House a couple times, but every time I see this, I'm always like, what in the fuck were they smoking when they did this? Oh scene? man! Oh, <laughs> uh, we also get a great uh, Jack the Ripper conversation where Paul basically just shits the bed in a relationship. She. She lets him off pretty easy, though. I mean, next thing you know, they're back together and stuff. Man, he really just... Talk about after-dinner conversation turns sour. Oh. We should say, he has an amazing loft. He does, for a ham radio operator. Man, he's... Yeah, he's really bringing the, the ham radio thunder to be pulling in a loft like that in, in, like, New York or Boston. I feel like 10 years is too long for the ham operator slash private eye thing. 
yeah. I, I feel like like nineteen seventy eight. This would have been more substantial. I feel like nineteen eighty eight. They didn't really <laughs> know what they could fix on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, by eighty eight, you know, computers and and, and Lindsey Smart. He brings the computer in here as well. Mm-hmm. But I feel like you know the ham operator slash private eye. That that time had passed from seventy eight to eighty eight. So you know, but you know, the Italians they hang on to stuff a little longer than we do. So their perception of Americans is very interesting sometimes. Totally, man. This is pre- this is pretty much a standard movie. We can say that. I mean, it's it's pretty standard. What makes this movie special is the decisions made by Lindsay in the killings and the bizarre tone. Oh yeah. And the relationships between the characters. Nobody really likes anybody. Nope. Everyone's uh, yeah. Everybody's at everybody's throats. Uh, for some strange reason, there's an RV parked at the ghost house. I have you know. Other than a body count, it's only kind of explained why. That maybe they broke down or something. But, you know, it helps with the body count, right? And oh, yeah. The cop and the and the uh, the coroner have the most, we're going to explain the movie, the whole movie to you scene. Maybe one of the worst, uh, ex, uh, you know, scenes of exposition I've ever seen. <laughs> Where they just sit down and they just say, okay, this is the whole shebang right here. This scene right here, if you see this, you've seen the whole movie. And Bobby Champagne as the the, uh, the funeral home director. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which he comes across is pretty great. And then of course the other funeral home guy is a drunk who, you know, can't be bothered to even wake up when he walks in. Digging nope. graves, drunk. The cop's um, pretty dull ass too. Yeah, he is. He is. That's what I'm saying. That he's not very interesting. He's pretty standard. It's almost like the kind of role Christopher George would play. Yeah, totally. In some of Fulci's uh, Fulci's films, but. George is a more interesting actor. This guy, I think this is the only film. That, I know for a fact that for this film, this is one of those films that has a body count in real life because a lot of these people in this movie never did anything else. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, that's one of those movies. So you got that going for it. Um, this also has, my last note really, but outside of the gonzo craziness. Ooh, I think Sammy got pulled into the ghost house. Maybe he got tapped on the shoulder. I don't want to give a lot of it away because it's really short uh, and really well done video horror way. Yeah, uh, but this does have maybe the uh, the worst milk bath gone wrong ever in uh, cinema history. Easily, this is a this is a bad milk bath. It's a very bad milk bath. <laughs> it's it's a bad milk bath. You could say it's a milk bath, or you could say it's the worst bukkake scene in the history of cinema. Ooh. Either way, it's it's a bad one. <laughs> but, Ooh, that uh, that New England clam chowder. <laughs> <laughs> a little chunky. Oh, you got to eat more pineapple and strawberry, man. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that Zom JPEG collection. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, that yeah, mislabeled, like... intentionally mislabeled folder on the computer. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, man. <laughs> yeah, that blandly named folder. Uh, but yeah, this is a lot of fun. This movie has a, a lot of great lines of dialogue um, and a lot of great moments of uh, <laughs> some pretty wacky acting, I mean, to say the least. It's 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 pretty out there. Sure does. But yeah, I'll kick it over to you. So this is when, yeah, he's, he's going for it, man. Lindsay's really going for it here. Um, he did Nightmare City, which is a lot of fun. This is this is what I like to call between 1980. 
or even 79. I got to say, I'm talking about Lindsay from Corleone to Brooklyn is maybe my favorite uh, Merrily Jam. So, yeah, nice. you know, and he made it. I like that and Fearless Fuzz, which doesn't get a lot of love. It's a fun, fun film. But 1980 to about 89. The 80s were really a that's, – that's when Lindsay was – it was the fun Lindsay period. He did Eaten Alive, Nightmare City, Cannibal Ferox, which I guess isn't fun. But he did Chichi Bomba, which is a fun film. Um, would never get made today. Um, it's, you know, kind of a comedy about a girl who's overweight and, um, you know, ugly duckling type story, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. Takes the glasses off, becomes beautiful type thing. Iron Master, which is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> amazing. Wild uh, Team, which we covered. Wild Team, yeah. Uh, Ghost House, Hell's Gate, which I don't know that I've seen. Nightmare Beach, which he directed as... <laughs> Harry Kirkpatrick. <laughs> Amazing. With Michael uh, Parks and John Saxon. So, nice. yeah. So, you know, he, he made some fun. <laughs> For a serious screamer, he made some fun films in the 80s. Yeah, the 80s were really the last period for him because he only did a few things in the 90s and uh, then uh, was done in 92. So. Yeah, he made Mean Tricks, which I know Zom and Lowe fucking hated. Yeah. They jumped on that yeah. grenade. Yeah. <laughs> It's not that bad. I don't know why they disliked it, but hey, uh, you know, potato, potato. That's right. Um, see the carnival music with the clown. I think you know there's some legitimately kind of creepy things. I'll tell you what I like. I really like, and I wish that. I think you know when you've kind of seen it. I, even though I haven't seen them, but some of these ABCs of death or these anthologies to make a series called Ghost House. Okay. Even though this was kind of cobbled together, because I, I can't remember what Ghost House one and two were, if it was like Evil Dead or what it was, but well, that's what they called it in Italy. But if you make a series of films called Ghost House, that's it. You make it a pretty big sandbox that you can play in, and yeah, you know one yeah. could be a haunted house in California because a family got murdered or a cult. One could be like a brownstone in New York, like the Sentinel. I mean, the sandbox you're giving yourself to play with is is very big. So I just thought about that the fact that we did Ghost House 3 and 4, which are very similar in some ways, but very different in some ways. More similar than different, though, certainly. One deals with more supernatural. Well, I guess they both deal with supernatural, but when we, when you'll hear when we talk about witchery. That's on another level of supernatural, man. Yeah, that is. <laughs> yeah, that's, that really, it really kind of goes for it. So. Oh, man, does it ever. <laughs> um, I think the irony in... The sort of Italian perception of the religious sort of southern religious family by Italians in films is always very humorous to me considering how religious Italy is as a country. Yeah. Um, and what's with shitty parents in horror films, man? I know. No. Just Well, awesome. you know, I mean, it all it all comes back to the parents. When all else fails and you need to explain psychosis, you go to the parents. Yep. Man, and that wig gets split pretty good. Oh yeah, yeah it does. It does. Uh, Uncle, yeah, there's some, there's some there's some good kills in this. I mean, there's, there this are. isn't bad. Oh, there are. Uncle Umberto had clearly seen a video drone and thought instead of having a pulsating TV, let's have a pulsating mirror because it's cheaper and easier to do. Yeah. He's like, this Cronenberg doesn't know. That's right, Umberto man. Knows. That's right. Uh, we get a sewing needle through the neck. Well, you know, that's what I like about Lindsay. He can be a nastier filmmaker. Well, yeah, I mean, arguably, he 
I mean, Cannibal Holocaust is nasty, but make them die slowly. Cannibal Ferox is pretty fucking nasty. It is. It's heavy duty in some spots, man. And he's made some nasty films. I mean, obviously he's made some nasty, nasty and Euro, yeah, nasty Euro crime films and some. I mean, he's not afraid of cruelty. No, he's not. Um, and he's not afraid to have characters wearing necklaces outside their shirts. No, but who was in '88? Nobody was. was in that's 88. right. <laughs> we got vests. We got Canadian tuxedos. It's, yeah, uh, it's outstanding. Um, and we get a camper. There's like a camper that's used a lot in this. Like these these guys, this f- family, I guess, going camping. They get to pull up, and you know, they're using their camper. They're they're, they're grooving. And, yeah, that uh, that 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 uh, scene of the shaking camper. I always think to myself, who you know, I was always looking for the legs to see the person, the grips pushing that camper back and forth. <laughs> well, it's funny. I was saying to Randy the other night because he had mentioned that he had watched Sorcerer with some friends. I thought I was. It's funny. I was thinking about Sorcerer because when that that trailer get the camper gets rocking. I not only yeah. was I not going to knock him, but I was thinking of Sorcerer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's really this good. Is surprising. This is a you know I I always forget. When I watched this, I hadn't seen it in years, and uh, but I, you know, I've always been a fan of it, and, and uh, I always forget about uh, the one character's the, the surprising cruelty of one character's death in this. Yeah, 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 definitely. Kind of comes out of nowhere and kind of gut punches you a little bit. Yeah, it does. Um, I always love when there's sort of something supernatural happening, bad shit happening, and, and the person calls out, "Who are you? What do you want?" <laughs> Yeah, if you it's, almost it's, like, you. it's almost it's almost like the same poison as found your found footage. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. here comes somebody with a knife. I better make sure I put him in frame. That's right. He better be centered, man, <laughs> for the Kubrick frame. Um, yeah, before before you slice my head off, stay still for a second. I need st- to get this shot. I got to get this in frame. Uh, how about you know, not just Italians, but it seemed like every like man, everyone thought that like Rubes love wearing like overalls. <laughs> You get Man, like a hillbilly. Yeah, you know, we all know where I'm at, where I live. Yeah, and I don't take offense to much. I really don't. People make fun of where I'm from, and I'm I'm perfectly cool with it. I I go with it because it's fun. But I really do sometimes take offense when people do think that all we wear down here is overalls. And then I go to the country down here, and sure enough, some motherfucker's got no shoes on. He's got bib overalls on and no shirt. Yeah, he walks into the fucking. 7-Eleven or whatever, and it's just like, goddamn man, you're perpetuating the myth, and you need to, you know, back off. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, big time. Um, I think that with both houses, they're big enough houses and shot in a way that enables the film to be stretched out. You know, simple premises, but they, uh, yeah, they make it work. I mean, they make it work for them for sure. Yeah, this house, this house is. It almost when they show the side of the house, this house looks like it might be a church or something. There, there are more windows on the side of this fucking house. I wouldn't want to live in this house, man. I'd have to clean those fucking windows. There's like twenty windows on one side of this house. Oh yeah. <laughs> and the in the house in the next film, it's it's basically a mansion, right? And it, it's it's really cool looking and stuff. It is good looking. It, it at least justifies its windows. I don't know what the house looks like a standard like. You know what the, you know what the house reminded me of? It reminded me of the house in uh, the town that dreaded sundown a little bit. At the yeah, front. yeah. But then when it got to like I said that side angle where they were showing the RV stuff, it looked like a fucking church or something. It was so long and it had about you know about double twenty windows is an exaggeration, but it had about ten windows. Yeah. Oh no, they definitely employed it well in the next one. Absolutely. Um, 
What else do I got here? Oh, the feather scene, I think. Oh, no, no, wait. Yeah, the feather scene in this, to me, was a bit reminiscent of, which is ironic considering the next film, of, like, The Exorcist with, like, The Locusts. I felt like, again, they couldn't do video drum with the TV, or they couldn't do real locusts, so they just blew some feathers around. Yeah, we got these pillows, and we got a Mickey Mouse thing, and there's no copyright claims yet. Yeah. This is a different era of cinema. You could get away with it. Big time. Um... I want to say too, you know, there's some stuff with the trailer, like the ca- the camper in this. If you had a, again another idea for a film here, a slasher set at a trailer park, I think there could be some legitimate tension there because the trailer is not very secure against, uh, you know, uh, yeah. murder. <laughs> uh, against, yeah, against any kind of home invasion. Uh, yeah. you know, going you know trailer to trailer. Um, and how about I always love the cutaways in this film to the, when the clown gets sharp teeth when he's smiling. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, amazing. Uh, I like the payoff with the clown toward the end, too. It's oh, yeah. Pretty, it's pretty fucking stupid and pretty fucking amazing at the same time. It is amazing. You know what scene looked really good, and they just used it for a moment, was there's this patterned kind of wallpaper that was like 237, like that kind of pattern. I oh, like yeah. that. I wish they'd have used it more. Uh, and, of course, they go to the old... Speaking of going to the well, uh, how about the blood dripping from the faucet? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So that's amazing. But uh, final note is we get some hot licks on like a vocoder or some sort of synthesized uh, instrument. Yeah. At the back end, and of course we get the freeze frame. Yeah. It's off. So yeah, those are all my notes. We get freeze frames on uh, both films on this disc. Mm-hmm. Which yep, is amazing. Late eighties, late eighties freeze frame, right? Oh yeah. Uh, okay, uh, my make or break, yeah, I gotta go with the kind of crazy feather Mickey Mouse thing, uh, you gotta see it to know what I'm talking about, so, uh, <laughs> definitely see it, uh, my MVT, I'm gonna go with Lindsay on this one, because I think this one's kind of bonkers, and, uh, none of the actors really stand out, really, the most memorable person in the movie is Bobby Champagne, and he's only in it, like, a, a red-hot minute, I mean, he's literally just there for, like, uh, one scene, um, everybody else is pretty bland, uh, yep. I mean, they're fine, but they're just not, you know, they're like, it's not like Daniel Green. Like, you know, you want to see more of him, you know, this actor that the Italians kind of picked up on. You want to see more of him because he has a charisma. Nobody in this really has a charisma. Everybody's so serious, you kind of want him to go away. So, um, but my score for this film is 7 out of 10. It, it sounds kind of low for how much I get the enjoyment I get out of it. That's because the film is kind of inept in a lot of ways. It's, it is. It, it's a uh, you know you got to be a fan of this kind of cinema. It's not gonna if if you don't like uh, looking at films like this because they're kind of silly or tacky or goofy, you might not get a seven out of it. You might only get like a five or maybe even less. But this is it's pretty special in how kind of wrong it is in so many ways. And it's and it's that glee. It it's not that level of ridiculous like uh like an Arizal film but it's not too far removed either right so oh yeah it's pretty uh pretty cool oh yeah um okay make or break uh yeah i'm just gonna go with like the first kind of uh clown doll you know carnival music backwards death it's it's yeah. and then, you know where the teeth get splashed with that editing where they have the double dolls and this feels very much like a Deadly Dolls film. It's very bonkers, very goofy, a little bit inept. Has an energy. I got to say, say, I'm going to say this again in our next review. But one of the things Italians seem to always get wrong in the 80s was children. 
Children. Yeah, they're always unbelievably grating. <laughs> they they can't get the dubbing right. They, they they don't even cast the kids right nine times out of ten. And Italian genre movies, it's almost like the only genre where I enjoy seeing children uh, eviscerated. <laughs> yeah, because I just oh, want to get where I want to get the kid out of here. <laughs> oh yeah. So I'll be I'll be talking about that again in the next in the next review. Oh, big time. Um, that's my make or break MVT. I'm just going to go with the bonkers ineptitude. I mean, they really go for it and it's fun, man. That's the good thing. Italians do well is they don't, they keep their foot on the gas and they don't care to hell with logic or, um, competency. They just want to make a fun film. And in the eighties, you know, this was a formula, man. Like this, this kind of is like, we are still here. This is, we are still here before we are still here. A gory ghost (laughs) film. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you know. yeah, it is kind of so, like that. Yeah, uh, my score is a 7.5. I love this film; it's ridiculous nice. and it's a lot of fun, and I make yeah. no apologies for it. If you lo- listen to our show, um, and you don't love this film, you know you're not wrong. Obviously, it's a subjective thing, but I just feel like if you like a lot of the same junky stuff that we love, it's like saying you don't like um, you don't like certain chocolate bars. It's like, come on, man, it's a chocolate bar. Yeah, you know, yeah, get, mean, understand yeah, what, they, what they were going for. Yeah, it's obviously it's a slippery slope, but if you if you kind of you know know what we're saying, and this is the first time you've ever listened to the show, sorry, I'm on a car mic, but if uh, I usually don't sound like this, I usually sound much uh, much more southern and much more drawn uh, deeper draw there. But uh, yeah. the uh, if you kind of know what you're in for. This movie is a lot of entertainment, and uh, it's it's a good it's a good crowd film because of the kind of uh, way you could quote lines and the kind oh, of the attitude yeah. of the ridiculous. dialogue and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of lines of dialogue I didn't write down, but I mean, there's a ton of stuff in here that you're like, "What? Did he just say what I think he said?" Oh yeah. So oh, yeah. It, it's one of those, and so yeah. Again, some people just don't have that in them, and I understand that. I get that. Yeah, no, no, for sure. Yeah, teach their own. I mean, maybe you don't like junk, but we like junk, so. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you want to take a break? Or you just want to jump yeah, in with Yeah, let's uh, let's take a quick break here. So okay. if we do, if the audio technology does shit the bed. Uh, okay, okay, yeah, we'll yeah, be yeah good. Take a short break. Come back with the witchery, dear bye. <laughs> Hello, this is Kenny B. This is Tom KW. And we are two of the hosts from the Podcast on Fire Network. You want Asian cinema in a podcast? Well, we got the solution for you. Because at the Podcast on Fire Network, there's seven plus shows for you to choose from. You want Hong Kong action cinema and audio commentaries? We got that. You want dirty Hong Kong cinema? We got that. You want the eternal question, what's Korean cinema answer? We'll answer that. The flagship show Podcast on Fire covers classic Hong Kong cinema. Everything from Bruce Lee to Jackie Chan, John Woo and Jet Li. Featuring in-depth discussions with an aura of fun. This is your primary stop in the podcast world for classic Hong Kong cinema. In short, it's a like or dislike for hardboiled frontiers. It is pretty much like Die Hard Fat Draft. Japan on Fire puts a spotlight on the known and personal favourites of the hosts, as well as providing a journey of discovery for the hosts and the listeners. Everything from kaiju, J-horror, to anime. Godzilla was a, just just hit every note perfectly. If you look at Oshii's films, like in hindsight, you can definitely see that there's a European influence. 
What's Korean cinema asks the question, possibly doesn't answer it, but gathers a cast of experts for an in-depth look at defining works of Korean cinema, even north. Too fucking long. I think if you're not hooked by the train scene where she's throwing up on the guy's head, chances are you're not going to love the film. The director series helps you put a name on some of those favourite movies of yours, like Story Ricky, Crime Story, and The Seventh Curse, tracking progress, or possibly not, in a continuing series of discussions on various directors. Finally, you know, Nam Nitro is kind of masterpiece. It's the f***ing Seventh Curse time! Yeah! This week in Sleaze is the adults-only show where the Pockets on Fire Network lets the Sleaze and Nudity rule as a Category 3 era gets a chance to matter, be laughed at, or ridiculed. Let's talk some f***ing! Was this a mind f***? Definitely a mind And Taiwan Noir highlights the forgotten Taiwanese cinema of yesteryear. So join me, Kennedy, and Tom KW, and a cast of thousands at podcastonfire.com. Also available on iTunes, on Stitcher Radio, and come chat with us on the Podcast on Fire Network Facebook group and on Twitter at Podcast on Fire. Podcast on Fire Network. It's Asian cinema in a podcast. All right, guys, welcome back. We are going to wrap up this episode with our review of La Casa 4, uh, 1988's Witchery, which uh, also comes again from this show factor, Scream Factory, double disc with uh, Ghost House in this. Um, I had never seen this. You had never seen this. The cover was great. It's got a really two wacky North American <laughs> headliners with Linda Blair and David Hasselhoff. Uh, another Italian effort. Linda Blair at this point is slumming. Hasselhoff at this point is. He doesn't know how he got here. Yeah, he's in between uh, big hits at this point. He's in between. Well, Knight Rider. I don't know if it was a huge hit, but it certainly was a hit. And of of, of my age, in my generation, it was very popular. Uh, but Bay, this is before Baywatch and after Knight Rider, right? This is in between. So. Yeah. So he's got to pay the bills. And what's strange is I feel like. The weird thing is with these two is that they're so well-known, and how had they ever fallen this far? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's well, we so know how Linda Blair, well, we know how Linda Blair fell. Yeah. She got she got on cocaine. She got hooked on cocaine bad. That's true. She got in some trouble, legal problems. Sir Dayton like James. Yeah. <laughs> things got a little wacky, uh, a little witchery, if you will. Yeah. Uh, Hasselhoff, on the other hand, he, he'd only been the, really the big lead in that in the Knight Rider show. So really he wasn't what you, he, he wasn't the pop culture thing that he is now or would become. Uh, he wasn't even close. I mean, Michael Knight was as close as he came to a pop culture fixture. And that was kind of, I think Knight Rider was only three years. It seems curious to me because it seems to loom so large over my childhood. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was a huge, it was a great concept and a huge thing, right? So, yeah. Uh, not a great show. If you go back and watch it now, not a great show, but you know, it was what it was. That's right. The Philippines was not afraid to piggyback on Blair's previous successes. They called this film Witchcraft, Return of the Exorcist. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if anything, this is probably the most notable for Linda Blair uh, and her fall from grace. Because, yeah, the mid-80s to the late-80s and 90s. And really, Linda Blair hasn't really done much anything Really, if you think about it, the 70s and maybe the early 80s were as good to her as it was ever going to get. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's true. He fell into she fell into genre stuff pretty quick after The Exorcist. Oh yeah, yeah, she sure did. She sure did. So uh, I mean, she went from she went from Oscar nomination to Savage Streets, which you know, yeah, I, I, I'm fine with that projection. But the I mean, crossbow man, that's yeah, and in Hollywood, in Hollywood, that that that's a uh, usually go the other way. Yeah, you do. You sure do, but she went the other way. Um, yeah, so this is on blue. We live in a glorious time. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It looks fine. It doesn't look great. It looks fine. Yeah. Uh, also an upsize this. When a storm strands a group on a Massachusetts island where the only dwelling is an old hotel supposedly haunted by the ghost of a former German actress, the result... <laughs> Is uh, it says here is the standard horror film. <laughs> I would argue with that, uh, uh, John Sacksteeder. <laughs> so yeah, you get uh, you know a little bit of Ten Little Indians with uh, opium and overacting mixed in, man. It's uh, it's good times. Um, this was a time you know witchcraft and you know eighties or as you know witchboard and. And all this stuff. This film's kind of playing on that, of course, partially because they landed Blair. Now I'm curious how much of a supernatural kind of witchcraft angle was played into this film before Linda Blair, or once she came on board. You know what I mean? If it was going to be just like a ghost story. Um. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I would say that that probably had a lot to do with it, really. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean. They even kind of, in a way, in this film, it's on the poster. They kind of give her, you know, the Reagan kind of look in a way with the hair and everything. It's a little bit more hair metal than uh, The Exorcist, but it's still there. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, Hildegard Neff. Would, would, this, would, these, would these films be considered pastageist films? Pastageist? Yeah, I like you like that pasta geist instead of spaghetti western or you know macaroni combat. We got some pasta geist. Nice, I've never heard that term. <laughs> Neither have I. I just thought to myself, what, what, what would the Italian? Uh, <laughs> uh, that's actually pretty terrible, but either way, kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, so spaghetti western, a gnocchi ghost story. Yeah. <laughs> a, a gnocchi ghosty. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, Hildegard Neff. Uh, by this point in her career, uh, Miss Neff uh, was slumming it. Oh yeah, she had worked. You know, a film she had done that I wanted to see. I'd looked it up. Was uh, Fedora with Billy Wilder? Yeah, yeah. Roop sent me that film a long time ago. I haven't watched it. I still got it, but I haven't watched it. Well, listen to it's the cat. It's got Mario Adorf in it. Yeah, it's got Adorf, William Holden. It's got her. It's got Jose Ferrer. Uh, Stephen Collins, Michael York, and it's essentially it's the same, it's the same fucking plot as Sunset Boulevard, which they talk about in this film. So, yeah. I wonder if it's a nod to that and nod to Wilder and stuff. But she's, you know, she was an actress. I mean, she worked quite a bit in Europe through, uh, you know, through the the war. Um, you know, and then she here she is here turning up in this striking looking woman. And I think that, um, I think she, you know, despite kind of having to put in a hammy turn, I think she's pretty good in the film. Yeah, she is. Let me ask you now, we had not seen this film. Which which of the two, Though I guess we're kind of revealing our hand here, but 
which of the two do you prefer, this one or Ghost House? Well, I have more affection for Ghost House. Uh, this one was pretty bonkers. Yeah, this one, I think, is uh, more bonkers. Well, yeah, I mean, it's pretty bonkers. I think Ghost House is more of a film. I think this is more of a bonkers kind of a mess. It's not It's not bad. I don't think it's you know, like a 3.9 it's got on uh, IMDb. That's preposterous. Uh, it's not, yeah, it's not that bad. Uh, not nearly that bad. I would I would yeah. flip that score. <laughs> you thinking? Of, oh, so you're gonna tell me? You're telling me right now you're nine point two five? Yeah, <laughs> and that's strong nine point two five. No, but I, I I really enjoyed this. I enjoyed I think, it. I I didn't I didn't love it, but I I did enjoy it. I will say this. <laughs> I think this is more fun than Ghost House. I'll say it. Ghost House gets a lot of the pub, and I love Ghost House, but this is more fun. Um, because think about it. The characters are either more loathsome or more likable than anyone in Ghost House. Well, the only likable actor, only likable character in this movie, really, uh, is, in a way, yeah, he's the only righteous character in the whole thing. It's so fucked up. uh, Because, you know, Hasselhoff has this reputation now, but back then he didn't, right? So he was, you know, he he wasn't the Hoff. He was just David Hasselhoff, actor for hire. And his character comes off as pretty much the best thing. Well, as far as virtues, he comes off as the best person in the film. The yeah. girl, the, the lead that you liked that I said was a mushmouth because of the way she talked, and she is a bit Leslie, of a mushmouth. The, the appropriately named Leslie Cumming. <laughs> she she's fine in the film as well, but she she uh she's always cock blocking poor. David she is Hasselhoff. such a fucking wet blanket in this film. It's like Hasselhoff's the eternal optimist, man. She shuts him down. Like, listen, I'm a gentleman. And I don't want to sound crass or piggish. But, but Hoff puts up with so much shit from this woman. She fucking stonewalls him. This is the point, man. I'm not even saying, like, he didn't get to fi- put a finger in her butthole. Like, he had to sleep in a sleeping bag on the floor when they were the only ones in this house. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she really, she really puts the squash on anything she's trying to do. <laughs> yeah, man, puts that kibosh. On. Yeah. He, uh, he, uh, it's interesting um, the stuff he'll put up with for her man. in the film, and uh, the way again because we have another character in the film who's very sexually aggressive, and the Catherine Hicklin character. She, oh yeah, she loves sex and she loves money, and she loves and riding she does, dudes. Thirty minutes yeah, after she meets them. Yeah, she's not afraid to. So you would think if this movie was made today with Hoff, then she would show up and Hoff and her would go, you know, because Hoff's, you know, he's got blue balls, man. He'd go off and with the Catherine Hicklin character, but he's a man of virtue, man. He loves, he loves uh, Leslie. He loves her bunches and, you know, he's going to stick around. First of all, I'm sorry, man. I don't get horny in decrepit, dirty old houses. No. That's just me. Nor do I. And this if I house am is gonna disgusting. Get horny, it's going it's to be doggy style only. It's not going to be any, uh, you know, I'm not laying down on fucking Charles Dump's bed. No, it, it, it was. It was the Dump Manor. Yeah, they're sleeping in dirty dirty blankets and all that. Possibly, like, people have been murdered everywhere in this house. <laughs> no, no. You don't know that. I mean, there's, a, there's like, a dark mythology around this. Because Leslie Cummings' character, what is she? She's writing a book or something? She's fluent in German. She's researching something. You know what you could do, man? Here's what you do. Okay, pro tip number three. You're giving these out for free today. <laughs> you take the sleeping bag. You go outside and you make love under the stars. You're surrounded yeah. by water. It makes for yeah. a nice ambiance. 
It is cold. They are shooting this in the winter, though. It's obvious. <laughs> oh yeah. So you know, sure about that body you heat. Do, yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't do little the little Hoff any favors by pulling off that pulling him out in that cold weather, but still. No, yeah. you don't pull him out till it's uh, time to get to work, man. Till he till yeah, ba- yeah. till Bixby has turned into Ferrigno, man. That's right. You don't show her Bixby, you only show her Ferrigno, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But Cumming is such a fucking wet blanket in this film, and I, I do think she's very cute though. But man, oh yeah, she she looks fine. She does. Yeah, she does. Um, <laughs> this house, uh, great looking house. Like, they really scored a good-looking house for this film. Um, yeah, I didn't look up that location. I'm going to look that up now while we're talking here. I'm curious. It's great. Got it. Even, and I don't know if the interiors were this house or they shot the interiors elsewhere. The interiors are great. The exterior is great. I love that interior shot where it's like the, the corridor of all the doors. Yeah. It's very much Italian dream logic, but it works well. And uh, it says it's a hotel in uh, Massachusetts. Yeah. Uh, what does it say here? Blair, Colin White. Part of my problem with Blair in this movie, oh, is, is she only does like two things. She walks around and rubs her stomach, which is fine. She's playing a pregnant character. And the other thing she does is, you know, go into contractions and get a wet face. I mean, yeah. like Leslie wipes her wet blanket body all over her wet face. It's true, man. And well, it's really a shame to see Linda Blair who. Honestly, is a uh, was a talented actress. Yeah, and diminished to such a role as pregnant girl in peril. Well, she gets to rock some pretty impressive dusty rose female like power outfits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, she doesn't she doesn't get given much, and I feel like too this one harkens to Exorcist too because it opens up with her in this lavish New York apartment, all in white. Yeah, she's got big hair. I mean. It's good, yeah. man. It's good. Um, I love when, when Hoff, such a fucking, he's so goofy in this. He says to, I think it's him, he says to Cumming, she gets scared and he goes, who are you expecting? The Phantom of the Opera? <laughs> yeah. It's, he is goofy in it. I was surprised at how much uh, I enjoyed David Hasselhoff in this movie. He yeah, was, he's likable in this. He is. Yeah, he's very likable and you can kind of see why he, you know, why, why he did nothing, made, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you can see that. But you can also kind of see in a way why he's maintained the kind of yeah. thing that he has maintained. Charming. Yeah. Which, as I'd said to you, full disclosure, I actually kind of hate him because, you know, he just, uh, I don't know. Just the way he was he was found, his daughter to call 911 because he was inebriated and the hamburger thing. And just, yeah, kind of embarrassing. It's like, get your shit together, man. And not to make, not kind to make of embarrassing. This, That's very embarrassing. Yeah. And, and, not, and not to make light of... of um, a sickness. It's not that. Yeah. It's just like, dude, come on. Not even once, like multiple times. You're you're rich. Hire an assistant to help take care of you, man. Yeah. yeah you know. He's a, he, he's a, he has some uh, personal problems, no doubt about that. Hoff could have been big in Italy 10 years before. Like, if this was like the 70s. Or, yeah, you know, he could have. I feel like he could have been, you know, could have been famous. Um, what else? Neff, I think, looks good with like the black on and all that stuff. And. Yeah, the best yeah. thing about her is anything without her face. She, she, her face. Uh, you know, I don't know if that's alcohol abuse or what that is, but man, her face is quite puffy. Yeah, it is. It is. It could have been. Yeah, it could have been getting sick. Who knows what it was? But it is puffy. Um, what's amazing is that she has the power to control the witch light. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, you mean you mean the reflective prism? Yeah, the reflective prism. It's amazing. I love the witch light. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love this one. Has a, this one has a lot of fun with uh, colors and uh, in-camera optical effects. It totally does. What yeah. else is great is I love uh, the obvious kind of ridiculousness when <laughs> the witch light gets used, and I think it's Linda Blair walks on that that. Um, there's like some construction going on. And something like it would kill her falls. And this construction. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, he's and like, that's when the, the, the most helpful group of construction workers in the history of cinema oh come running God. over and going, Are you okay, miss? Miss, are you okay? Are you okay? <laughs> Did anything hit you? Did it hit you? If it had a hit her, she would have been a fucking grease spot. <laughs> I'm okay. Yeah. Just, just stroll off. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's funny because usually in uh, in the mid '80s, you know, construction workers were either, whistling. Yeah, they're always whistling the chicks. You know, they're not uh, all helpful like that. Those guys come out of nowhere. They're ready to help out. True. How about um, Hoff brings the tan on tan on Brown Thunder with his outfit? Yeah, he's 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 layered, man. He's, he's rocking layered. the layers, popping collars. He's yeah. in it to win it, man. He, he's trying to bring his game on every front. But uh, Cummings not not feeling it, man. Um, and I love uh, <laughs> fucking Hoff when he says to her, "Go see, even your poet knows virginity is not natural for a grown woman." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so ridiculous. Uh, we get double. What does it say? Double something hanging on the wall. Ooh, what does that even say, man? Oh, double acoustic guitar is hanging on the wall, man. Double oh, axes yeah. there, by. <laughs> yeah, the acoustic axes. It's amazing. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, the sleeping bag I already mentioned is brutal. How about, I love to, again, the Italian notion that <laughs> anytime they show an American kid, he's playing catch or doing something they perceive as very American. Like the kid in this is playing catch with his baseball and his mitt. Yeah. It's priceless. Very American. Um, Did he have a blue jean jacket on with a vest over top of it? I can't he, remember. He, he, had, he had a Canadian tuxedo on. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's the Italian perception of the American. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, <laughs> man, my notes were just chicken scratch. There, I put here hot plate conundrum. I don't remember what that means, though. A no, hot well, plate that's conundrum. Where they're, they're getting ready to try to get out of the property before oh, they get Oh, yes. But Hoff leaves the hot plate, man. <laughs> yeah, man, Hoff with the hot plate. Yeah, again, man, like, come on, Hoff. <laughs> it's standard procedure, man. you got to remember your hot plate. You do, yeah, you totally do. Uh, evidently, no electricity in the building, wor- in the place works, except for the hot plate. Later on, he's trying to work the projector. He's trying to work everything. It's unplugged. Uh, there's, there's a there's a growing theme between Ghost House One and Ghost House Two, as they're known in some circles, or La Casa Three, La Casa or Three and Four, four yeah, yeah, where uh, electrical devices just come to life. The they do. One, there was a there was a fan blade that got the. Oh, which was good. <laughs> yeah, it was a good kill, and then this one, the uh, projector kicks on, and you see the last film that Neff was working on, which could have possibly been in some ways more interesting than this film at times for me, because it oh, yeah. really. Looks fucking bizarre. Whatever she was working on at the end. Bizarre. Only the Italians could come up with whatever the fuck that thing was. Uh, Italians trying to do German, which is <laughs> yeah. even more bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> Black and white, like, yeah, like a bit that, bonkers. That, 
that third rate Jodorowsky scene. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Man. Totally. The Germanic kind of, yeah, fucking insane. Um, they name dropped Thoria Swanson in this one. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And how about uh, that boat, man? The foxy lady. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It's excellent. Um, I love the effect when uh, when Linda Blair gets pulled into a bathtub. Oh yeah. And they, yeah, yeah. that's a well they go to a lot. And I kept screen yeah. capping it, and it was just <laughs> so ridiculous, so ridiculous. Are you talking about the the rainbow waves? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know what that effect's called, but it's it's amazing. <laughs> and I love it because I I had the subtitles on for some reason. I don't know why. I was watching it early in the morning, like six in the morning on a Saturday, and it would say screaming, and then they would still be screaming. They would say still loud screaming. <laughs> yeah, I, I love it when subtitles do that, or they say ominous music plays. Oh man, <laughs> I had that. there was a few of those in this. I know. There was a few of those in this. It was amazing. <laughs> um. Linda Bear, God bless her. She really brings the cross-eyed thunder, man. Oh, <laughs> she's one of the masters of the cross-eyed. Yeah, man. she is, man. Because she, she brought the the cross-eyed maneuver in in Exorcist <laughs> too. too, and then she brings it back for this. Yeah, it's amazing. It's like it's like a, a pitcher's got three or four pitches, man. That's one of her pitches. Yeah, cross-eyed, man. Um. It was what Rick James liked about her so much. <laughs> <laughs> he probably made her go cross-eyed a few times, man. <laughs> yeah, he probably did, yeah. Um, oh, man. And Linda Blair, man. <laughs> Jeez. I wonder if, you know, I wonder how upset she'd be because, you know, she, she works the convention circuit. I wonder if you could, if I, like, <laughs> took a shot of her from this cross-eyed, if she would have signed it. And I could say, Eric, can I take a picture of you in the cross-eyes? Yeah, yeah. How down she'd be for that, but uh, you know what? I think she'd be pretty game. I think. I think she seems to be pretty nice to her fans and stuff. You know, I can think of very few actresses that started out with such acclaim early that fell so far. I guess uh, the Ryan O'Neill's daughter, uh, what's her name? Tatum. Tatum. Tatum fell pretty hard too. And oh yeah, you know they're both pretty much uh, you know cautionary tales for you know drugs and early success, right? So yeah. Big time. Yeah. I mean, Tatum doesn't really even do anything hardly anymore. But. No. Yeah, that's. I didn't know that. I thought Blair, for some reason, I thought she was, like, uh, crabby in conventions. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, man, I, might, I might be wrong, too, but I've seen her at a few, and she always seems like she's really nice. Is she uh, Again, I've never met her, but, I mean, she seems like she, you know, people yell at her, and she kind of waves and smiles. And she's fantastic she, uh, for her age. Yeah, and she, uh, oh, man, when I, I've said this before when she's been on the show, I mean, in the late seventies, early eighties, oh, I was boy. in love with Linda Blair. I yeah, was in love looked, with her. Yeah, she looked good in part two, man. Yeah, kind of, yeah, kind of like the baby fat look and kind of things like that. It's kind of little, you know, before Hollywood became so obsessed with lean and with twigs. Yeah, and twigs and all that kind of stuff, and everybody had to be so lean and stuff. She looked really nice. She was very curvy and developing very well, and you know the way the way women and, and men do, and you know, and I I was. You know, a young young man, but even then, I already was thought to myself, "Man, she's she's hot." I wish someone would give her a chance to maybe really stretch her legs from an acting perspective to see what she's got left in the tank now. Yeah, I really do because I think she could she could do something, man. I mean, she's got enough mileage in and life experience where I think it'd be interesting to see. Um, 
Kyle, talk about an actress who got pigeonholed by a movie, man. Oh man. I mean, there's been there's been these tales over and over again, but man, I can't think of somebody that's that was more detrimental to their career than her. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I like I like Roller Boogie and I like Savage Streets and I like a few other films. Oh yeah. You know, I like some of the movies. Hell Knight. Yeah, Hell Knight's good. But I I mean, from the acclaim, from being in one of the biggest movies of all time to now, it's. It's very, it's a very interesting uh, spectrum. Big time. Um, I don't know that we've ever seen a film on this show where the parents were so repulsive and gross, and it wasn't like a focal point of the film. They just happened to be. The parents yeah. are so fucking gross. They the mother. Gross. I hate to use this word. I, I do. <laughs> but the mother in this is such a cunt. She really is. Her daughter just about drowned in a bathtub. Her daughter's pregnant. She sends her up to get more pills that she can so she can pop them. <laughs> and the and the, the dad, Robert Champagne, oh, and his uh, so gross. He's so disgraced because he's just he's just uh, a lech. He's just one of these kind of guys who who just loves you know like well he's probably not getting no sex at home. Well, he's not from her. So, there's no way. He's just turned on by anything that walks and talks, and he's just so he's so gross looking, Robert oh. Champagne. I'm sure he might be a nice gentleman, or he was a nice gentleman, whatever. But he he has a look, and playing this kind of sexually deprived character kind of fits that look perfectly. <laughs> well, and and he gets into some voyeurism, which I wish they had caught him. It would have been oh, can you imagine? Oh yeah. Oh man. Um. But uh, what do we got here? Do, 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 do. Uh, great kind of uh, fire and sewing needle combination on some. Yeah. Um, do, do, do. And I love that the mother is so awful in this film that no one thinks to even ask once like where she is after she's been gone for a while. Yeah. That's great. Um, yeah, they- yeah, they're not the only ones that want the mother character gone. The audience wants her gone, and they want her gone, too. It's totally true. I think the low-budget hell in this looks good, for the most part, other than when they show, like, the walls that have just been drywalled and, like, they're still being worked on. Yeah. Yeah. They they, they do, so they, you know, they use that rainbow effect, that prism effect, uh, good use there, too, to kind of hide the inadequacy the, of some of those scenes. Yeah, it's true. Um, I, wish I, have, those scenes, I wish those scenes were a little bit more harsh. I feel like they're just basically... Scenes of people screaming at the camera with like wavy effects and colors. Yeah, yeah. No, that, I wish there was a little <laughs> bit more violent or something. This, I mean, this movie does have some gory moments. The, it does. The sewing needle the, stuff is good. Yeah, the sewing needle stuff. Uh, the Bob Champagne uh, vascular discharge on uh, Hasselhoff's face. I feel like Rob Zombie's seen this because some of like the feverish witch stuff. Because what we get in this is we get. Uh, one of my notes is uh, the Italian Jack Elam really chills with the witches in this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know that one dude. Um, Italian Jack Elam. <laughs> we get something very Italian. We get death by swordfish in this. That's so. Yeah. If I can just, I know it's obnoxious to do, but that's hashtag so New England. Yeah. Yeah. Death by yeah, swordfish. The only thing it could have been more New England is if somebody had, like, blades on a Red Sox hat or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally, man. It would have been great. You know, I could have seen, like, in Tenebrae, like, uh, or no, what was it in um, 
phenomenal when she's in all that that gloopy, gross like uh, bug thing. Imagine that was clam chowder. Ooh, <laughs> comes back to clam chowder again. Um, yeah. We talked about how Kendall didn't give up the goods in the last one, but in this one, Cummings does give up the goods. Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you something about watching that scene. It was 6.30 or 7 in the morning. I was trying to squeeze it in before work. <laughs> it was a Saturday morning. I'm on the big screen on my house. Okay. Nice. Leslie Cummings is tied up to a bed. She's being raped by a demon. Arguably some of the puffiest nipples in the history of cinema. If you're Canadian and you know what Viva Puff chocolate cookies are, her nipples look <laughs> like Viva Puffs. <laughs> And if you don't know, Google Viva Puffs. Oh, I'm sorry for being so crass, but yeah. They are, but um, they're delicious cookies. Uh, <laughs> well, they look like they would. They, they, they do look delicious. But I'm watching this scene. I mean, I'm watching it over like a bowl of cereal, like just bizarre. And I'm thinking to myself, man, because sometimes my kids will kind of, you know, we got like the Berber carpet, so the kids will come out and I'm like, oh, what are you doing here? I thought to myself as this season, I'm like, fuck, man, I hope my kids don't wake up. How do I explain this? Yeah. You know what I mean? Luckily, they didn't. Oh. Yeah, I know what you mean. I watched it on my big screen, and, uh, yeah, I, my, my son was asleep. But, of course, you know, you never know. You know, when they get to a certain age, they wake up in the middle of the night. You never know. So It's true. Uh, again, I think the low-budget effects work well in this. It's stylish. It's pacey. This is bonkers, but it keeps his foot on the gas, which is good. Uh, we got Hoff shooting flares, which is amazing. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. funny. They cut to a car explosion, and at first I thought, don't tell me that flare was supposed to do that. And thankfully, we realize it's a TV. Um, what does it say? 80s mark. Oh, I think this film would have done well in the 80s market. Like, it was a, dark, a smart business decision for them to make. Again, you kind of hit a number of different genres in the 80s market. You get ghosts. You get foreign horror. You get gore. You know, you get a little bit of sleaze. I mean, you kind of get it all. Um, so I think it was kind of a good thing. How about the one dad? You don't see this anymore. Smoking in bed. Oh, yeah. yeah that fire a, hazard. Yeah, that's a faux pas nowadays, right? It's a faux pas. He's reading Mario Puzo, living a good life. Um, and then we get a scene. <laughs> that's, that's a waterbed he's sleeping. That's a waterbed even. All the more reason to avoid the cigarettes. Yeah, yeah, that could be a real mess. Man, I had a waterbed when I was a kid. Wish I yeah. still did. Actually, that no, magic... <laughs> Yeah, that magic era of the waterbed. I, I, when I was a kid growing up, I spent a lot of nights at other friends' houses, and they had waterbeds. And I always remember thinking, man, you know, because you're kids, you know, your kids sleep in the same bed, whatever. You don't think anything of that. So that there's yeah, no, no, you know, there's no nothing going on weird no, there. No. But it's it's just the idea of sleeping in a waterbed with somebody you don't normally sleep with, and they toss and turn and wake you up every five minutes because the fucking waterbed's moving. Oh man. I'll tell you what, you know, when waterbeds would get, the water would get cold and yeah. the sheets came off. Oh, I remember I dated this one girl. She had a waterbed. She held on to the waterbed late. She was in her early 20s. She saw a waterbed and wow. she kept that water hot, like nice and warm, man. So to sleep in her waterbed, it was always warm. Uh, so I remember another thing I remember about waterbeds is we used to dare each other. This is pretty crazy. We used to jump. take the sheets off. Yep. And we used to dare each other to fall flat on our back or jump on our stomach and smack that waterbed. Oh, man, yeah. Let me let me tell you, brother, that fucking hurts. Oh, it does. It does. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Um, what else do we got here? The storm in this, much ado about nothing. 
no one can get to the island. Yeah. We get, we get, <laughs> Makes no sense, really. We get a really antiquated moment. Like, there was just this sequence of things that you would just you couldn't get anymore. Someone opens a phone book. They pick up a push-button rotary, like a push-button phone. They listen to a tape recorder. All of these things <laughs> don't happen anymore. A Sesame Street tape recorder. A Sesame Street tape recorder, which, uh, man, how about that payoff? Yeah. That's Some amazing. Italian things. They got the Mickey Mouse in the first one, and then this one they got the Sesame Street recorder. What an amazing payoff. Yeah. I can't believe the Oscar the Grouch Big Bird recorder payoff. And because I, I was going to say that Sesame Street uh, recorder is like the uh, the Dennis Eckersley of uh, horror <laughs> movie in, heroism comes in for the save, right? Yeah, man. The uh, I can remember, of course, you know, '88. I would have been 15 years old, but I can remember some nieces or nephews of some, uh, maybe not nieces or nephews. I got them old. I mean, cousins. Mm-hmm. Uh, Somebody had one of those. I remember actually seeing one of those in, in real life and uh, thinking it was very kind of quiche, you know, kind of campy even then, you know. So oh, yeah. it's interesting to see it in this. It was kind of like, a, wow, I totally forgot that thing existed. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. Um, I love the end again with the freeze frame. It's just so ridiculous. Uh, those are all my notes. Yeah, this, 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 this doesn't have as good of uh, a rape scene as like Rosemary's Baby. I mean, don't get me wrong. Leslie it's pretty intense. Sure. Yeah, she's going for it, and I give her credit for that and stuff. I the the, the big I, I find her fine in the movie. The biggest problems I have with her is when she delivered dialogue because she she didn't deliver dialogue as much as she just moaned it. Like yeah. I know, but but I just I gotta do my book. <laughs> you have this acute uh, ability to key in on women that have either thick tongues or. Their, yeah, their, goes, their inflections. It goes, goes all the way back to episode one. Yeah, man. Well, you know, I do have a weird thing. I, I, I do sometimes fall in love with women uh, strictly on the way they talk. I am very I'm very big on... And it, it doesn't have to be anything special. It can be really odd. It can be like Grace Jones. But, yeah. it, you know, it, it. I like... I actually get turned on by women speaking very well and eloquently or even trashy but eloquently you know and and so you know i don't have any problem with speech impediments but i just when they come up in movies i always kind of bring them up and it's kind of become a thing even though i never meant for it to become a thing like so many other things we do on the show oh yeah <laughs> you know it's funny you mentioned blair at conventions i remember when i first saw linda blair at a convention i thought to myself man how the mighty have fallen uh not that it's a bad thing to go to conventions i think it's a good thing to see your fans and stuff but you know, nowadays, you look, man, uh, Burt Reynolds is doing conventions. I mean, I got to tell you, if Burt Reynolds comes around my area, I'm going to have to go and get an autograph. It's Burt fucking Reynolds, man. Yeah, that's true. I mean, how can you not How can you not go see Burt Reynolds? I mean, this he was like, I mean, that'd be like if Stallone came by or Schwarzenegger or, I mean, I guess to put it in comparison now, if like George Clooney just showed up to sign autographs or something, I don't know, somebody huge. Yeah, but, you know, I can see guys like them doing it, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, true. it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how big you ever get. What you always got to remember is life is a humbling experience. Sooner or later, you're going to be just like everybody else. Soon enough, the iron sheet comes and he humbles yeah. you. Yep, put you in the camel clutch. That's right. And that's all. That's all. That's all she wrote. I fuck you uh, in the and makes you humble. Yeah, <laughs> I fuck you in us. The. Uh, <laughs> 
I did like this movie more than I thought I would. I, I didn't love it uh, by no stretch. It, it is a bit junky and a bit messy. <laughs> I think Ghost. I think Ghost House is. A, I think why I like Ghost House more is I think it's a little bit more charming than this one. Now this one isn't, isn't that bad, but I just find the ghost, the characters in Ghost House, a little bit more charming. You uh, do really. It, the, the characters in Ghost House are so bland. Yeah, they are. But I know there's something about the charm of it, and maybe it's that slasher sensibility again. Yeah, because yeah. the characters in Ghost House are very much slasher stereotypes. Sure, sure, absolutely. They whereas are. the characters in this are a little bit more of a hodgepodge, which I did find more interesting, honestly, because it's not just kids and you know standard uh, kids that just want to fuck all the time, no matter how dirty the floor. In this, it's Hasselhoff and the Blonde that want to fuck all the time, no matter how dirty the floor. Um, Ugh. <laughs> no. Uh, but yeah, they, I mean, the the film is fine. It, it was better than I thought it would be. I mean, I don't know anything by Fabrizio Laurenti. I, I looked through his filmography, nothing really jumped out. Uh, there's a few creative kills and a few good gory moments. It is really, it's worth owning and worth seeing this for the curiosity of a Hasselhoff, Linda Blair, Linda Blair, Linda Blair starring vehicle. It just, it's crazy when you when you pick this. I went and looked at the credits, and I thought, holy fuck. I didn't know Linda Blair and David Linda Blair. Fuck! I didn't know Linda Blair. <laughs> ironically, <and> you're you're <laughs> yeah. messing up. Uh... Yeah, yeah. Ironically, I'm Leslie Cummings tonight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I I didn't know they did a movie together, and much less I didn't know they did a a, a horror uh, Italian horror film together. I know. So it was very interesting to me to to kind of see that, and and on that level alone, it's worth checking out because it's such a kind of unique thing every now and then you get actors that you think you know you know i, I mean i don't know if anybody ever had a hankering in their life to say man you know what i'd really like to see i'd like to see a possession movie or a witch movie but it'd have to have david hasselhoff and linda blair in it and just for short measure if it had bobby champagne it'd be perfect and it was yeah but, new england and i'll tell you man italy italians love shooting in florida and the new england area yeah, yeah. city of the living dead did the same thing i mean they love it yeah, they must have got a deal for a while, right? I mean, they must have got some tax breaks or must have or something. Been. I mean, we we've kind of talked about before about the Miami thing, and obviously we know Lindsay wasn't afraid to go somewhere for breaks, right? Because he went to North Korea to shoot uh, that that action film we covered. That uh, right. and uh, that that or was that? Yeah, that was the one that was shot in North Korea, wasn't it? Yep. I believe it was Lindsay that went over and did that. So, yeah, I mean, you know, you go where you go where the money is, and that's the Italians in the '80s. You know the the Italian film market had changed, so they come over here to the states and they make a bunch of and make it. Still, sorry, I cut you off. No, 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 I cut you off. Well, they come over here and they make a bunch of you know, kind of classic genre pictures and some wacky genre pictures, but they just kept going where the money was. I mean, then you know they they didn't really have a choice. I mean, you, you're talking about filmmakers that at one time were make were making big bucks and plenty of money and movies, and not, not that they were stinking rich. They weren't Steven Spielberg for sure, but they were. You know they had a good lifestyle, and then next thing they know, that market dries up, and they got to go find work. Oh, big so, time! I can't think of a I can't think of an era of filmmakers that got shit on more in such a short period of span than the Italians. I mean, I can't off the top of my head, but no, maybe maybe, maybe you could argue there is. But I mean, you got to think about the late mid sixties. Obviously, there's the neorealist stuff, and, you know, Italian cinema has always been classic cinema. There's always been Italian cinema. There's, oh, yeah. uh, you know, it goes all the way back to the beginnings of cinema. So there's always been great filmmakers. 
But you talk about, you know, spaghetti westerns, giallos, Eurocrime, all that, that rush of creativity. And then, you know, the cannibal films even. And then you get into the post-apocalyptic stuff and all that stuff. And then by the time the late 80s come around, I mean, by the time the end of the videotape era has hit, they were just getting pounded with, you know, lack of quality. So it's pretty amazing how quick it dried up for them. So. And well, at least at least we got those decades, right? Well, yeah. And let's be honest, too. At the time, they had to come and shoot here also because they could mask their film to an international international audience and sell it to Americans, right? Yep, yep. So there you go. Okay, let's uh, get into make or breaks and everything. Yeah, I don't really have a whole lot more to add anyway. So oh, I'm sorry. Have, Forgive me. Yeah. No, that's, I don't, I don't, I'm looking. I don't have any. only other note I have is Tommy really loves Jane. Man, he really does. I didn't even say that. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I think the song at the end of this is pretty shitty. Yeah. It's a great freeze frame, but the song's a bit poopy of body, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, no, no, no doubt. <laughs> uh, make or break. I'm going to go with... Um, I guess um, I'm gonna go with the sewing needle scene. I really like that, man. That's on the cover. I was like, I was curious to see what it was, and it was nice to see someone you want to get it get it. Sounds awful to say, but <laughs> I know, I know. But you know what, though, in in horror movies and stuff, I think that's different that's kind, of, kind of. You're kind of tuning in for that, right? Yeah, no, it's true. Um, and I'm gonna go with for this one. Man, I'm going to go with, you know, I want to use the Sammy logic here, and uh, I want to go with uh, the director because I don't know that I'm ever going to get to give him the MVT again. Fabrizio well, he, did, he did do a film in 93 called The Crawlers, which, uh, let me give you this plot synopsis. People from a small town are attacked by evil radioactive tree roots. I saw that. I saw that. It's. I mean, like I saw the synopsis. Ridiculous. He did The Immigrant, which is short. <laughs> We need to. We might have to check that out. Yeah, no kidding. But I think he does a really good job of. I don't know balancing. Um, Holy shit! That's got Gabriella Tinti in it. Oh wow! He did one with uh, Carlina Catali Tassoni called La Stanza Canto, which uh, is a thriller. And yeah, I don't know. That was ninety. That was ninety four, man. Yeah. He still. I mean, he just worked like. Ooh, and Pupiavati wrote it. Yeah. Wow! What are the odds? Might be on board after all. Huh. But I'm going to give it to him, man. I think, you know, for a guy that didn't work very much and was making films in a country that was unfamiliar to him with film language that wasn't as familiar to him, or you know, and on a limited budget, uh, i got to give it up to him, man. I, you know, people, I, I love Ghost House. But yeah. Witchery's a lot of fun, man. It's more bonkers. Yeah, so we, I'm sorry, you going to give us a higher score than Ghost House? No, I'm going to probably give it the same score. I know that seems weird to say, but yeah. I can't quite say it's better per se, but I feel like we all love Ghost House, and I want the people that love Ghost House to discover witchery, because I think it's got a lot of the same strengths, but even yeah. more kind of bonkers. All right, well, my make or break, i got to go death by swordfish, because one thing about the Italians is they always come up with creative ways to kill people. Oh, yeah. Uh don't think I've seen Death by Swordfish uh, like quite like this. So that works for me. Nope. 
Uh, I'm going to give the MVP to Hasselhoff. I know I'll never give it to him again. <laughs> I can't think of anything film-wise I've ever seen him in where I've liked him. And uh, yeah, That's true. Uh, his character is likable, and he's actually, even though he's goofy, he's actually pretty likable in the movie. So I did like, I'd, I'd agree with you, though, on your call for Riccio Laurenti. I bet, you know, I mean, I don't know much about the guy, but, uh, you know, he doesn't do a bad job. No. Uh, my score is 6.5. It's just a little bit nice. lower, about a half point lower than Ghost House. I think it's a good set, though, that Ghost, that Witchery. Ghost it House is a fun. It's a fun set, man. Yeah, that's worth a buy, that Scream Factory disc. I mean, the the films themselves don't look outstanding, but uh, they look, look they good. look good enough. I mean, that's the best I've ever seen Ghost House look. I've only ever seen Ghost House on tape transfers from yeah. fucking back in yeah. the 80s. So, yeah. You know, they've always been kind of shitty, so. I'd seen it more recently, but yeah, it wasn't. This looks as good as it's going to look. All right, man, that's a big show. Nice. Okay, so next week, finally, we're going to be kicking off Sleazy Summer. That sexy spectacular that's in its first year. You've all seen posters. You know, we had some great friends uh, contribute some wonderful poster art, which we're going to be using as the month rolls on. You know, just spitballing some ideas. And one of the things I thought would be fun was um, get all of our, you know, some of our closer friends together. And apologies to anyone we've excluded. Um, and program each other's shows through kind of like a sleazy lottery. So what we did was we got ourselves, we got uh, Hammockus. We got To Call to Muscle, we got Sylvan Gold, we got Feminine Critique, The Trashy Trio. Uh, we all got together. And Married we with all, Clickers. Married with Clickers, yep, absolutely. And we all got together and uh, we picked some sleazy, fun films and we put them all in uh, a pair of uh, um, thing, a pair of um, uh, Hildegard Neff's panties, The Lady in Black. And Ooh. Yeah, we drew some names, and uh, so it was a lottery. You could have got the films you picked. You could have got the films someone else picked. So we're going to be kicking off our uh, our sleazy summer, and all those shows are going to all be tied in because they're all doing films covering sleazy films. So it's going to be very interesting to see what uh, I know. Trashy Trio is watching Animal Instincts, which is a zombie pick. Uh, which I've seen before. I've seen that before. Oh, by the way. and feminine critiques got a bad. They got uh, Afterman and uh, and uh, um, Boy Omega Beyond the Door. No, Beyond the Gate. What is it? Uh, the uh, Joe Demolo. Beyond Dark. Beyond the Dark. Beyond Darkness. Maybe Joe Demolo's finest hour. Um, so yeah, it's going to be fun. Um, so what we are we doing next week? Are doing. Hang on here. Where are we? Give me just a moment. <laughs> I gotta find it here. You got a drum roll, please. Oh man. Drum roll. Where's that lottery? Okay, here it is. Okay. We <laughs> we are doing the following next week. Uh <laughs> oh, here we go, man. We're going to be doing uh, The Art of Dying with Wings Hauser. Yeah. And uh, Astral Factor, which was a oh, Higgins yeah. pick about some ridiculous astral projection killings. So, Art of yeah, Dying I, and uh, astral, The Astral Factor. Yeah, I've heard of The Astral Factor, but I've never seen it. 
The Art of Dying I have seen once before. I love Art of Dying. That was actually one I picked. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. I know the Sylvan Gold Boys are going to be doing an Abel Ferrara double in their near future. Nice. Um, I can't wait. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. They're covering what I picked, uh, Treasure of the Amazon. It's going to be a good a good month. Support our friends. Listen to their shows. These are films that we all picked together. It's going to be a lot of fun. Hope everyone has fun with it. And uh, we'll catch you guys on the flip side. With that being said, there's one thing left to say. Yeah. Adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. 